Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stay tuned for Parent Talk Radio with Ted Wolf and Psychic Cindy. Right here on Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Paratalk Radio with Ted Wolf and Psychic Cindy on ParatalkRadio.com. Paratalk Radio is your one stop for all things paranormal, the unknown, and the supernatural. We cover topics such as ghosts, hauntings, Bigfoot, UFOs, and more. Paratalk Radio is a product of the Genesee Valley Paranormal Investigators. You can join us every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 7 p.m. Central. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, TuneIn, and Google Play. We are a part of AHAM Radio Network and blogtalkradio.com. Live video streaming can be seen on Facebook at facebook.com backslash paratalkradio and periscope.tv. To contact us, email paratalkradiohost at gmail.com or search on the web for Paratalk Radio. Paratalk Radio is recorded live at J-Wolf Productions in Ontario, New York, engineered by John Winter. We are Rochester, New York's only paranormal talk radio show. The topics, views, and opinions expressed on our show may not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Paratalk Radio, our hosts, or our sponsors. Some of the language on our show may not be suitable for listeners under 16. And now, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. Hi, everybody! (laughs) I was wondering if you were going to get it in time, so (laughs) I wasn't sure. I did it. I pulled it out. You pulled it off. I did. Pulled it off. I did. I'm (laughs) running behind, as always. That's all right. Well, we've got a really long show for you, a lot of fun, interesting things happening, um, and we're going to try and squeeze everything in in a uh, um, great professional manner. <laughs> as, in, as I put my lip gloss on? <laughs> well, you guys know us now. Come on. Come on. So, yeah, so we're just going to have a good time. Uh, everybody, we have Mr. Zach in the house with us tonight. Mr. Invisible John whoop, whoop. is uh, doing the Jazz Fest tonight. So we miss our John. So he isn't here. But we love Zach, too. Yep. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. You're welcome. So everybody, hello, Caesar. So everybody can say hi to Zach since Invisible John isn't here. Real quick, I'm going to say hi to Savannah. Uh, hello to Robert, Sheila, Mary, uh, Heidi. Oh, Mayor. Uh, I, I'm Michelle, Caesar. Oh, are you? I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you're going to be there, then I'm going to click over to Periscope. Yep. I'm going to be on Facebook. All right. I'll kick over to the other side. And uh, I got to tell you, folks, that the first person we're going to be talking to here is going to be um, Matt Moneymaker from, he's the founder of BFRO, which is a Bigfoot Reefer Research. <laughs> Reefer. Reefer. Bigfoot Reefer. What's on your mind? Just tell us. <laughs> Bigfoot Research Organization. That was funny. And um, second from there is going to be uh, Andrea Perrin, who I, I love and adore. She's one of my favorite people. Um, she's just, I don't know, the, the energy she has sometimes is sort of like yours, Cindy. Oh, fine. She is. She is like, 
She's like wild like me. She's amazing. Let's just put it that awesome. way. She's amazing. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, and she lived we through. We like high energy people, though. Yeah, and she lived through the original. Con- I, the real haunting. So that's super scary to me. Yeah, that's very uh. scary. From I mean, I sat down last night and I watched as many videos of the truth of that. Oh, let's let's hold on one second here. Hello. Hello. Hey, Matt. How are you? Very good. I tried calling right at five o'clock and it, and it, I couldn't hear a show, so I I've tried back a few times, but I'm glad we connected. Oh, yeah. good. Hi, Matt. Yeah. How are you? Very good. <laughs> okay, so there's going to be about a three or four second delay. Okay, so we're not we're not live yet. No, we are live. We are live. Okay. <laughs> oh. um, but there's still be a delay. Now, um, we're actually having a hard time hearing you a little bit. We've got him all the way up. All right. No, what yeah, I'll do, we let do. Me switch to a different. Let me switch to something else here. Hang on. Okay. Is that much, much, much better? Ooh, oh, yes. That's beautiful. That's great. It's beautiful. Okay. That's perfect. I just had to take you off of Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're used to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know how it is. I don't like anything <laughs> blue. yeah kentucky right so matt we should probably kind of explain and i I know you don't know much about us and uh but we know some things about you but that's okay i'll explain real quick that uh paratalk radio you it's fine yeah like cindy said we stalked (laughs) a little bit um we are not your normal radio show, um, podcast, or video cast. We are straight shooters here. We get to the nitty-gritty and no holds back, and uh, whatever comes out of our mouths comes out of our, <laughs> our mouths, and we expect the same from you, if right. you know what I mean. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so you have to introduce Matt, though, because you right, were starting right. to. I was starting to, and then I got sidetracked. Right. All right, so as we were talking, um, the gentleman on the phone with Andrea. us. Later. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do that later. Um, the gentleman on the phone with us is Mr. Matt Moneymaker, who is the you are the founder of the BFRO, which is the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. Um, amazing, first off, I have to say because I am a part of a Bigfoot organization as well, uh, Sasquatch Detectives or Squatch Detectives with uh, um, Steve Culls. So I'm I'm oh, excited about this interview. Oh, just so you know. Um, oh, we love Steve. So, yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> just, I, I love the guy to death. And uh, I'm actually his, because um, uh, we're in New York, I'm Western New York's, um, uh, What? shoot, I can't even think of what they call me now. Like, that, I'm, like I'm like first contact for them if there's a sighting in Western New York or Central what, New what York. Part? I'm the person they contact. What's that? Which part of, of Western New York? Um, everywhere from, um, say, Syracuse, uh, Rochester to Buffalo. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a big piece of New York. <laughs> you you're very big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's all of Western New York, basically. Pretty much, yeah. So, like, it's, it's all of it. Upper Western New York. <laughs> upper, yeah. So we mm-hmm. wherever, wherever there's a sighting, you know, they, you know, I'm I'm the one they contact, but um, I usually get uh, stuff from. 
different areas. And Steve being closer to uh, the Adirondacks and stuff like that, he gets a lot more, you know, hits than I do, I guess. Yeah. But um, anyways, getting back here, um, Mr. Matt Moneymaker was also on Finding Bigfoot on the Animal Planet uh, channel. Which ran, now, how many seasons did that run, Matt? I can't remember. Say it again. I was plugging in power here. Oh, I'm sorry. How many seasons was that? <clears throat> well, or, I guess in a nutshell, it's kind of complicated. The number of seasons used to mean, uh, back in the day, meant the, the number of years. But now it doesn't. Right. So it was oh. more seasons than it was years, because they would sometimes have more than one season within a year. TV changed. Oh, it right, used to be very right, regular, uh, and now they they would you know they used to new show series used to all start at the same time of year, and it was all a mechanical right. thing because the networks had to make deals with the advertisers and they would do that during conventions. I mean, well, like conferences where they'd all come in and 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 so anyway, but then it just broke up. The cable got so big, so many channels that they you know the so they I think it's eleven seasons that was over the course of seven years or eight years, depending, you know, because there, there was a gap, you know, so you can count that as seven or eight. Right. Yeah. So, I think I thought I heard eight years. Yeah. Yeah. Still, so you know, eight, eight years to, to the public. Yeah. Exactly. yeah true. To the public, it started in like 2011, but for us, it really started in 2009. Uh, and oh. I mean, when we knew that they wanted to do it and we were shooting stuff uh, in 2010 uh, and so, yeah, it was it was longer than than when it first started airing because there's a long delay between uh, when you're shooting a show and then when you're you know when you're shooting a real episode for a show and then when it finally airs. I mean, that's very a number of months nowadays. Uh, they you know unlike they, there's obviously there's sitcoms that would like they tape on Tuesday and they'd air on Friday, uh, but for uh, uh, for this kind of show that's very uh, that has a lot of uh, post, as they say, a lot of post processing. They're intermixing interviews and, and you know, dreams, I mean, memory sequences. And, and so it takes a long time for them to prepare one. Uh, and then, of mm. course, the planning to go shooting that episode uh, starts happening many months prior. So, um, right. anyway, it's a long period between when you're first deciding where you're going to go and, and when people finally see where you've gone. Right, right. Uh, and I gotta, I gotta imagine that that there's a lot of work, not just for you know the audio text and video text and all that stuff, but for you guys as well, as in you know lugging equipment and uh, you know going to all these locations and uh, travel time, spending time in hotels, motels, uh, camping, hotel, I mean, motel, oh, holiday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I mean, it's I can't one of those imagine things where you you try to re- you know you try to reduce in your mind what uh how much goes into it and how much you do and you minimize it just so you can have a grip on it but then when other people join you other people are like uh, you know they're kind of dropped into the middle of it they're just going oh my how do you guys do all this and um, i think the preparation came for me as i was doing uh, this is finding bigfoot was my second series it wasn't my first so the, the very you know very much the model for the finding bigfoot series came from mysterious encounters which was a series on OLN, Outdoor Life. Do, do you remember that, Autumn Williams? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I was the one who got that show together, too, and I was the one who picked Autumn Williams for it. So, um, wow. And 
yeah, I mean, and they had said, you know, we want a girl out in front, and they gave me, you know, the <laughs> uh, the the physical parameters of like, you know, the type that they wanted, and uh, the uh, um, the BFRO is such a large group that I was able to find four or five that that kind of um, you know you know hit the marks they wanted and kind of met their their parameters. Uh, and Autumn was by far the best talker, and uh, she, I mean, she was just like. She had been on expeditions with with our people and, and been out in the field. Uh, she'd done stuff on her own. Uh, you know, her mother had a sighting when she was young. She was really steeped in the, in the thing. So she could just go on. She could be the exact kind of character you'd want for unscripted because she just has a lot to say at the top of her head. Uh, and she mm-hmm. brings a lot of personality to it. And, um, and that, that year was just, it was really hard on her. Uh, and so the, it, for a lot of reasons, uh, you know, her marriage and uh, the, the pressure from the producer. Uh, and anyway, so that's why. But that was the top show on Outdoor Life Network for the whole time that it was on. And that is, you see, if you watch that show, you go, wow, that is kind of like even Bobo was in it. You know what I mean? You say, you'll realize that was kind of a precursor to finding Bigfoot. Uh, and so there was a few years gap. But I'd done expeditions before that. Then I did this series and then I did a whole bunch of expeditions before and up to finding Bigfoot. And so when we went to do finding Bigfoot, there, uh, there was nothing that I hadn't done before. I had done a TV show on the road. I had done many expeditions. And of course I had my vision about like how to do it where it'd be really most exciting. And they would, I mean, or, or and, and most fruitful too, in terms of evidence, the most effective, it, you know, I didn't want it to be just an entertainment thing. I wanted us to like use this, the fact that we have all this equipment and all this help <clears throat> cameras, this, going to different locations, put that all to work for the aim of bringing back some good footage, good evidence, et cetera. And right. uh, that, that, I guess that's the angle that, you know, I, I thought that's the angle it would go down. And, and now I look back and say, that was, that was at least the angle that I should have been looking at it. But of course it came to clash with a lot of different interests uh, with, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, production company network and all those things. And, you know, it, it, I wasn't unfamiliar with it. And, you know, although I didn't agree with all of it, at least I understood it. <clears throat> and, uh, and, uh, it, 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 you know, and of course I don't want to town talk my own show, but people, there's a lot of problems <laughs> that people, many people had with it. Uh, and you know, just various things like, like always building up to excitement right before the commercial. What was that? And, you know, uh, and then going back and it's nothing. And then they they cut it with the, you know, left the perception that like every sound we heard in the woods was a Bigfoot, not realizing that 99% of the footage from the evening was not seen. And they, you know, and when we'd hear sounds that things would happen, we would immediately be explaining and saying, okay, it's this, that, I see it's just a rat or da, 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 da. Uh, and, uh, and so they never saw that. They would only see the parts were saying, what's that? And, oh, I think that's it. And it gave the perception that we step out in the woods and we're hearing, you know, and and we think there's Bigfoots around us, but that's, you know, so there was various things that I didn't like just as much as everybody else. Uh, but it was just, uh, there's, it's such a more complicated thing. There's so many, as they say, you know, cooks in the kitchen, there's so many masters to serve, uh, that, uh, you know, that you, you know, of course, it's not going to be your pure vision doing it. But now I have a chance of I'll be in a position of being executive producer uh, for the next one. And uh, uh-huh. I, and so I will bring it much closer to what I want, which I think, of course, will bat the ball out of the park 
uh, in terms of ratings. I think it'll grow and grow and grow. Uh, and when people see that we're really being, we're not just, it's not artificial in any way. It doesn't seem like we're, we're playing to a formula uh, to meet, you know, formula that, uh, that they're, they're trying to do so they can make a, you know, a processing an assembly line of, of episodes where we can just shoot out, a, you know, go shoot a whole bunch. And then the people doing the editing kind of know this formula that they have to edit it down to. Uh, and, right. uh, uh, it, it, anyway, I've now, like I said, this will be my third one, so it'll be it, it, I, I, it's going to be an improvement. Finding Bigfoot was kind of an improvement <clears throat> over the first one, uh, and uh, so again now, so this is the next one's going to be. Uh, I am I'm very eagerly uh, looking forward to working on it. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, we know that the way TV works, that no matter what it is, um, whether it be Bigfoot, paranormal, whatever, yeah, they take a it. a lot of editing footage. And plus the fact is, too, the network wants a certain thing. So, oh, yeah. you know, you can send it in and then they'll send it back to you and say, no, we don't like this, this, this. We want this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're there to keep people on the edge of their seats. And that's that's the main premise behind right. all these things. It isn't really... You know, such as as finding Bigfoot. I mean, sure, they want us. They wanted them to find Bigfoot or evidence, but right. at the same time, they just wanted it to be. You know, let's keep these people in their seats and you know enthralled with the whole thing. You know, whether they find something or not doesn't matter. We need to play the spooky music. We have to <laughs> build it up before the commercial. We have right, to do right. you know all this stuff. And unfortunately, yeah. some of the fans of finding Bigfoot. You know, after so many episodes, they're like, oh, geez, it's the same old thing. You know, and they're like, well, they never find yep. it. They never do this, They never do that. And, and unfortunately, then your ratings drop. And and then people tune into it like they right, used to. Right, right, right. But I think yeah. there's also a flip side to that. Like when there was a, a long period of time where there wasn't any episodes. And I remember searching for it because I do enjoy the show. And... I finally found the yeah, new they, oh, oh, commercials come out. The commercials come out. The new episodes coming. Blah blah blah. And don't you know it's a night that I couldn't watch it because I was somewhere else. I was oh, so mad. No. So I ended you up waiting for yeah. It. So I ended up going back and and trying to because I'm cheap. I don't have one of those DVR things on my Direct TV. <laughs> You're so funny. So whatever. <laughs> but you know I had to wait for you know the playbacks and all that stuff. But. I think that that suspense where it's not on for a while, it kind of draws or sucks those people back in because, well, are they going to find it this year? Are they going to find it this episode? <laughs> you know, so, you know, well, that that's my take on some of that. You know, and that's right. You're right. And that they had actually said almost exactly what you're saying. They said, you know, we want to give it a while because it'll make it more special when it comes back, which is the way they said it. But special. the only other thing about your assessment that <laughs> that's not on spot was, and it would be a natural assumption, what you said, natural assumption that they really wanted us to get something, but they also needed it to be entertaining and kind of formulaic to make it easier. You know, but there really, I mean, it was, it wasn't just that there wasn't a push to, for us to try to get something. There was actually a push in the opposite direction. And the way that would come out in phrase was we want to preserve the mystery uh, now you think about yeah. that for a second, and what that really means is we don't really want you to find Bigfoot. <laughs> basically. Right. We right. want we want it. I mean, it's working that people are still wondering whether or not they are there, uh, and 
And in a way, that's kind of a self-serving approach because it means they don't have to make the extra effort, spend the money da, 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 to get something else. They can just <laughs> film us, you know, you know, playing Scooby-Doo. Uh, and <laughs> so unless you have that kind of – with that? Yeah, that was it, funny. And, and, you know, just – yeah, and running around and doing that stuff, and uh, it, it, they, they, if they can convince themselves, or if you say a producer can convince the other one, that that's really the appeal of the show. And look, the ratings are so high with them just running around and them not getting footage of a Bigfoot, but occasionally like analyzing <laughs> footage or photos that other people have. If that works, then let's not, you know, don't fix it if it ain't broken. And and so there's there was a logic there of like maybe it's good that they don't get something uh, mm. to preserve because like gosh what would it do if they actually got something and of course I knew what it would do which was it would like quadruple the ratings actually you know if you, right. you know well, and, and, obvious because, right right but it, it would be all over the think, news exactly you would think it's a no brainer but you'd be surprised how many people said would have this superficial logic of well of course you could never find Bigfoot but you know you can't find it because then your show's over. You know, what if you do? I mean, it's just like you can't, you know, you can't get it because then there's nothing else to do. It's like, duh. Well, yeah, no, like man, you get I some footage of a big but like you're not going to watch the next episode because, oh, oh, we saw it. They got it. Okay. Case closed. Yeah. The, you know, now we know. They're real. Big <laughs> oh deal. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I think in some cases, yes, but at the same time, I mean, there's also that, you know, uh, that flip side to all of that. Which, you know, they ignore, they don't, you know, they don't even think about in some cases, but I'm sure they did, is that, you know, if you really found something, I mean, like Cindy was saying, I mean, it'd be on the news, it'd be in, in the mm-hmm. Time magazine, it'd be in National Geographic, it'd be, it'd be all over the place. You would think that Animal Planet would be right there going, look what we did. Right. You know what I mean? We brought the show here and, and blah, blah, blah. And of course they would continue on. Um, researching it with you guys, saying, okay, you know, I just, I think it's amazing um, sometimes and how people, especially producers, think about shows like this because we deal with that with the paranormal. Um, Well, Bigfoot's a part of it, but with the ghost hunting stuff where, you know, the TV shows, they, they, they play up on it so much and then, boom, nothing at the end. But when they actually find something, they don't care. Right. What? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, what? what do you mean? What Wait, do you mean? Yeah, it's like, what do you mean you don't care? What do you mean you don't want to really know? What's going on? Well, I, I, well that, that's unclear. We say that when they finally get something, they, I mean, I knew how that was in our case because it was like we finally got howls and we finally got action by like the last night that we were out. And then you would naturally think, well, hey, that, you know, stick around there. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, come back next week to the same place and, and start from that point. And um, uh, and so or, and, and so it looks like we're saying, oh, we found it, but now we don't care. We're leaving on. But how did that would that how did that apply to the ghost shows? Like they'd get something and, and see in our situation, <laughs> it was because everything was already scheduled to go to the next spot. You know, plane tickets were bought. Hotels were reserved. Witnesses were lined up. Town hall. I mean, all the stuff was scheduled. It was like a logistical thing. We couldn't just say, you know what, we're going to stay here another week. You know, we can't. We just logistically, you can't do that when it's that kind of production. Uh, but but how, was that what was happening with the ghost shows too? Yeah, in some cases, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it's just it's it's 
amazing. It's like all these producers have like a psychic connection and then, Hey, this is what we did. So you guys do this too, you know? And, and it's just so funny, you know? So wow. since you said, since you said Scooby-Doo, Matt, um, I have uh, one of our regulars, Robert, who says, who plays Velma. <laughs> and, then have, and then I have that Ken Laban who says, we couldn't have found Bigfoot if it, was, if it weren't for you meddling kids. <laughs> That's right. There's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> no, I have to tell you, Matt, we back. We've actually had two of your um, co-hosts of the show, I, I should say, or our friends on the show. We've we've had Cliff on here, and we've also had Bobo on here. And um, oh, and I didn't get to me. You didn't get it was to me. Before my right, time. right. It was before your time. But you know, we wanted to get you, and we wanted to get Renee on the show also, and um, just get your your take on all of it. But I mean, we have there are a lot of people in the state of New York that love the Bigfoot phenomena. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because of places like the Adirondacks or Whitehall, New York, or even is is close to us. I mean, there was sightings in Greece, New York. There was sightings in Nunday, New York, and we're talking yeah twenty minutes from where we are. Um, right. Well, yeah. maybe uh, Greece <sighs> is about a half or forty minutes, oh, and Nunday so is a little longer. Yeah. So and, I wish so I wish I had Bigfoots within twenty minutes of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next time we get one, I will send you an email. We'll be can, like, hey, you, hey, yeah. you got to come up. <laughs> there you go. Give you the well, I have a military, there's, there's a military base nearby here that I know, and it's got two flowing rivers through it. Uh, well, I mean, it's they're pretty close to mm. flowing year round. And there has been sporadic, occasional incidents or track finds in the winter. Uh, and, uh, so that, that, so I'm just eager to be, you know, uh, that, uh, I want to be able to figure out like where the best spots are to look in the winter, but there are regular things up in the mountains, like, you know, Mount Palomar, probably the closest, very reliable area. Uh, and the, but that's a couple, you know, a couple hours away and it doesn't look that far on the map, but you know, there's Mount, you know, people don't realize how many mountains are in Southern California. They see LA as a big flat plain, but it's surrounded by mountains. And uh, that's yeah, where the Bigfoots are at. Well, look at New York. I mean, people think oh, yeah. of New York and they think New York City. And, right. you know, we have mountains, we have hills, we've got gorges. We've got we've valleys. Got, we've got all that stuff. I mean. <laughs> yeah, but Cal- but where he's talking, like going into San Diego from AZ, it, it's beautiful, but it is daggum hilly. Can I just say it's hilly? <laughs> you mean <laughs> yeah. like the NPA? Mounds like yes. big boobs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. see, it, and it's it's a latitude here. See, in New York, you guys are up higher latitude. You're not in the arid part of the country, so you it's very green. It's very wet. Uh, you have to yeah. worry about like running into a deer on the way home. It's this like it is a lot more <laughs> wildlife uh, than mm-hmm. you have in, in Southern California and the Southwest in general. It's like you have to go. You have to go to high elevations. You have to go to places where it, it is more wet. Right. The lower you go, the hotter and drier it is. But the, <laughs> the other side of that is in the winter when there's really bad snows and, the, and those high elevation areas get snow, uh, get super cold, it's easy for animals to escape that just by going downhill. Because you can get, right. I mean, if you're in the mountains of Southern California, you could be a five foot of deep snow. But if you just keep going downhill, you're going to eventually be in warm air eventually. 
Uh, and if you have to go all the way to the coast uh, to get into like 65 degree air, which, you know, for Southern Californians, that's like, oh, boy, put on a parka at 65 degrees. But for Sasquatches coming out of the snow, that's just like, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's might as well be Miami. So they'll come down right. and, and so it's a matter of figuring out where they go down to when, when the weather's bad. But when it's really hot, like right now, they're up at the top. They're up at the highest areas where the alpine flowers are still blooming. And um, right. uh, but anyway, that's been the interesting thing. That's that's characteristic of the Southwest, where you have high elevation alpine and then lower elevation desert. Right. In New York, it would be, it's really a function of the deer and the harvests, and you know, you, you know, and where the cornfields are. Uh, and it's really I, I understood it after a while as like kind of a big equation. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, many years ago, I understood this equation. And so when I started doing the expeditions, I put all that understanding of the equations of what elements uh, intersect uh, to uh, make an area that uh, Sasquatch is probably going to be. Uh, and one layer of that is where there has been sighting reports before. Uh, you know, with other people, that's the only layer. And that to me, that's just like, that's, that's one of many layers. Uh, because there might be sightings crossing a highway repeatedly. Uh, I mean, not every day, but repeatedly. And people might think, oh, well, that must be where they're around. Not realizing, no, that's just the one place in the area where people are going to spot them. But the area where they'd be hanging around might be miles away. And there, people are spotting across right. the highway just when they're transitioning from one mountain range to another. Uh, or, or one swamp. You know, we're talking back east. It's like, the, the key things they would really like in Western New York, they, they're, you know, you would look on a map and there's actually like a, like an interactive uh, uh, map system uh, that, that maps different types of crops. So imagine like a, like a, an interactive map where you can zoom down. Uh, and instead of seeing the, you know, different maps will show you terrain, they'll show you aerial photos. Imagine one where it's just showing you, mapping out where different types of crops like corn, like where the cornfields are. Uh, so you overlay, you know, the sightings, uh, you know, where the cornfields are. And then if there's power line routes, uh, cuts going through or abandoned railroad beds or even active railroad beds, because uh, in that part of the country, those, those will, what, they'll follow those to go long distances. And out west, right. they'll, they'll follow like ridge lines or rivers, et cetera, you know, where there's open land. But back east, when you, have, you follow a river, you're going to run into a town. Uh, so if you want to stay away from people, you'll do like the deer uh, and you'll follow power line routes or railroad beds, et cetera, uh, you know, or dirt roads that just dump, you know, that avoid cities. So, uh, oh, my God. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's a different equation there. But, yeah, you can, you can kind of figure it out. So then when I started doing expeditions, I applied that and we got action. You know, we would get these things to respond and people would have sightings uh-huh. and with each right. time that we, we were successful with that, we're like, yeah, this methodology works. You know, you really look at it as the food equation uh, and the protein equation, so to speak, like where do you have different, it's because it isn't just deer. You mix in a marsh, then you have all these different, you know, amphibious things. They can eat frogs, turtles, snakes, uh, and uh, you have some varying terrain, which, like, say, you have bluffs over a creek bed that allows you to get out of the wind uh, and gives you a view over a deer grazing area. And al- oh, alfalfa fields is another thing. That's, like, number two behind uh, cornfields for your part of the country. 
Uh, but yeah, you pull, put all those ingredients, you know all the ingredients to look for, and you just figure out where those concentrations are, and you can get it narrowed down to like you know a couple of miles radius, and then you get it to a high point in that area. And if there's a point in that area, a high point, from which if you made a loud howl, it would carry over a long area, uh, and that's where you would go to do that. And, and right. if, if, you, if your calculations were right, you're going to hear one respond. And if your calculations are really right, by the time when you get up toward that spot, there's already a Bigfoot up there doing that. <laughs> and that was always, right. that always impressed people. I said, this is where we got to go to howl because this is where a Bigfoot would do it. And we'd go up there and be almost there. And there's already a Bigfoot there howling, doing what I <laughs> predicted would happen in that terrain. And, and so right. anyway, so that, I, I, had a, I had a big following that wanted to go on every expedition I did. And, and, and it wasn't just to have an encounter that action, but just to see the method, uh, to see the analysis of maps, uh, the analysis of reports like okay, paying attention, what time of year are they? Uh, was it juvenile? Was it more than one? What time of day? All these factors. And if you learn all these factors, you could just kind of figure out where the best spot is. Or where a bit, right. Again, you're not, you're not narrowing it down to a spot. You're narrowing it down to a place where where sounds can project for a long way such that if they're anywhere within a, you know, a mile or two radius, then they're going to hear it. Uh, and if you make it close enough to the sounds they naturally do, then it's irresistible to them. Uh, unless you've been to that same spot and done that thing already, because they get wise really fast. Uh, right. and, uh, and, and if they, if they hear their sounds, what's that? I said they're very intelligent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're so, and that's one of the things that's particular. People, because they have fur, they live in the woods, they don't build houses, and you know, do engineering. You know, people assume that they're they're just animals. You know, that they have no more intelligence than any other one, and not realizing that they are, they're. Let's put it this way: it'd be hard for you to get a picture of it, sense of it, until you've had an encounter with one about how mm. smart they are and how how they will immediately impress you if you're standing right in front of one that you're looking at a very intelligent, there's a very intelligent being looking at you. Uh, and yeah, right. something that you find that you, you instantly care about too, because they, they, uh, the sense that so many people, when they've had encounters, you know, these things could, could kill you in an instant. And right. you get the sense that they, when they have an encounter, that they feel vulnerable. And it, mm. it's uh, and it, and it gives you some empathy toward them that they feel vulnerable, that they could be hurt, uh, that they're not protected, and that they're being pursued. Uh, and that right. uh, and and you feel like, oh man, that's like you don't want to do that to them. But at the same time, there is a way of doing it where I mean, there's a place, for example, in Washington State where they uh, they did it the right way, and it wasn't a way I told them to do it because the BFR, when they do expeditions, once they learn the methodology, I said, you know what? From that point, then do it. You know, be creative. You know, try different things, do whatever. Let's see what you come up with. And so people right. did things in different areas that were different than the way I would have done. But in Washington, uh, they found a way to. Uh, There's a, a very special place in the Cascades uh, where they were being trying to be as friendly as possible to them. Uh, and be entertaining and being just nice and sweet when these things would come around. And after a while, these things understood that. And so it was almost like fun for them coming around. And I would hear about this and go, oh, boy, yeah, sure. You know, I was just like, like yeah, come on. 
<laughs> and then went up there. And, and of course there was a lot of guys from California who had had a lot of experiences and they, you know, there's various people that were skeptical. And then I went up and I said, no, no, this is, they did it right. They, they mean, they made it work. These things are coming around and these things are, are very curious. And it's like, they're coming and watching a party that they know is for them. Uh, you know, mm. and they figured that out. And, and, uh, uh, and so then the guys from California who were, you know, the most cynical, including Bobo, uh, came up there uh, and Bart Coutinho uh, came up and Bart had one crawling right, you know, 30 feet from him. Like the first sighting he had, you know, he had, you know, with a, uh, you know, with a thermal at fairly close range. And uh, right. he came back being like, wow, this is the, this place. They, they, everybody was impressed. So it's like huh. when you learn those lessons, then, of course, you want to tell other people, yeah, try that. They're smart enough to figure out if you have bad intentions toward them or if you have friendly intentions where you, they know that you understand that they're not just an animal to be hunted, but they're almost like other people out there. Other people, and they're intelligent, and they're basically good, just like humans, you know, with exceptions. Right. Humans are basically good and have the best of intentions. And they're they're civilized in their way, uh, and and they and so this mutual respect develops. You know, I mean, civilized in that they could. You know, I don't know how many times I've talked to like witnesses. You know, parents have brought in their children, uh, and they're uh, or have reported to. So we've gone there, and we've talked to kids like small girls, who ha- were by themselves and had a full-grown Sasquatch standing right in front of them. Uh, and if it had been, of course, a mountain lion or even a bear, uh, that would have been like end of story for the little girl. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and it wasn't. And, you know, it would be, you know, the girl would see like the shock and surprise uh, in the Bigfoot, or the Bigfoots will sometimes would approach. And in one case, mm-hmm. it's very sweet, the, the Bigfoot came down, and just uh, uh, she was walking down the uh, back driveway, and this had been like Georgia, Florida border. She's in a very rural area. The houses are far apart. This is kind of swampy southeast zone with you know with big you know there's actually pine trees. People don't realize that, but TVs. Uh, and right. it's just very, a lot of life down there. So it, she's walking back <laughs> after dark from her friend's house. Yeah. What's that? We oh, have we have a ton of questions. questions. That are coming in from oh, I'm the. Oh, let's get to those then. I could ramble on. No, let's, 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 okay. let's, let's do a, let's do a, a quick commercial, commercial first. Really quick. Yep, we'll do a quick commercial and then we'll come back. So nobody go anywhere. We'll be right back with Matt Moneymaker from the BFRO and Finding yeah. Bigfoot. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Digital Ink Art is a local company that specializes in screen printing, heat transfers, logos, vehicle graphics, and stickers. They're located in Albion, New York, between Rochester and Buffalo, and they make it real easy for anyone to get their brand printed. The website, digitalinkarts.com, is undergoing a new look, but you can still contact them on Facebook or by calling 585-200-2400. So don't forget, digitalinkarts.com.
Since 1948, Fate Magazine has captivated you with their true reports of the strange and unknown. But things just got better. Join host Todd Bates Sunday night, 6, 5 central for Fate Radio. We bring you the best interviews, stories, and most of all, bring these true reports of the strange and unknown to life. Fate Radio with Todd Bates Sunday night, 6, 5 central at FateMagRadio.com. All right, everybody. Um, we've been sitting here for the fat, well, almost uh, 40 minutes talking with Mr. Cliff or with Mr. Matt Moneymaker. Sorry about that. And um, we've been talking about Bigfoot. We've been talking about um, basically the regions and, and and everything. You guys have got a lot of questions here we need to get to. And I, But before we get to your questions, I just want to mention a couple of things. Well, I actually want to talk to Matt about a couple of things. I made some notes. Um about some things. And Matt, I, I, I saw a video with John Green. I'm sure you know who he is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And he was talking about um, Bigfoot and, and basically some uh, casts that were made apparently from 1958, um, which was before the gambling film. And um, he also mentioned that the whole thing with um, Bigfoot and actually proving um, that this creature exists, inevitably it's going to have to be a body. Uh, science is going to want that, and and rightly so, um, to prove the existence of this, this creature. They're saying that he said that's what has to happen. Do you agree with that or disagree? Uh, I agree that that's what was originally thought, uh, and okay. and believed, and <clears throat> it would be true if, if I mean if they got one, that would be the effect. But I don't think that's the only way. And when Jeff Meldrum came along, uh, he was I mean John Green was was the, the godfather of this scene. Right. I mean he you know the Sasquatch, the Apes Among Us. I read that when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. that got me into it. Uh, and yeah, he was my hero. I mean he was a, he was a newspaper right. guy though. <clears throat> you know he wasn't a scientist. Jeff Meldrum came along and basically said, okay, listen. Uh, you don't necessarily need a whole body. You could have a piece of a body. Uh, and, and, and the coup de grace, I mean, all you'd have to do is literally have a tooth. Uh, but, of course, if, you know, to get a tooth, uh, you're, it's going to be part of, like, the remains of a carcass. But the point right. is, it's just like, it doesn't have to be a whole body. It can be parts of one. DNA that's at the follicle of a hair, uh, is, especially if that comes from various places, uh, would point to that. And of course, there's plenty of those out there, and that's not the problem. I have a hair sample myself. The problem is trying to find a credible a lab with credentials and clout like Cornell, uh, which would right. take, I mean, no amount of money that I had a sponsor offer, blank freaking check, and they wouldn't do it. Uh, so the, wow. you know, institutions that have the clout and have a reputation would not touch this subject with a 10 foot pole. In China, they now, might. In Russia, they might. Not in America. Is that is that due to government? No, it's never due to government. I mean, the thing with government is there's, of course, people in the government uh, do know more. A lot of them have their own sightings. A lot of them have their counters. I mean, I've talked to, I've had, you know, sheriffs come and approach me in the Sierras and say that they've had incidents. And I'm like, so, you know, I I, I believe you and I want to know about the area, but I want to know more about like, what pressure you would feel uh, to not talk about it to not because he said he kept, we were up there filming a shoot 
And he actually approached me and he says, Hey, you're Matt. Right. And I'm just like, am I in trouble? <laughs> he was just like, you know, cause two of these guys came up and back me. Uh, and I like you, Matt. I'm like, yeah. And, and I'm like, and, and yeah, uh, he introduced himself. I says, I've seen one of these things. And he says, no doubt about it. It was in daytime. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and these guys were in uniform. And, and I was just like, oh, my, you know, he wasn't lying. And so I was just like, right. tell me, what is like, he says, of course, we can't go on camera. I said, tell me why. I asked what I want to understand. <laughs> because what would apply to you would apply to other people in government, government agencies. And it's uh, people in, just like academics, people in government and government agencies have to maintain their credibility. So right. they, uh, if they had a, you know, a, well, if they had a body, it would have to go through a chain. It, they'd get it out of their hands. But they, they, every government agency wants to avoid controversy. <clears throat> they want to avoid negative attention, even you know if it's unfair and unjustified. Uh, if right. somebody in uniform says they've seen it, so it's this. It's not like a fatwa from the top that says, okay, we can't tell the public about Bigfoot. Uh, you know, da, 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 we can't do it. it. It's on an individual level. And it's a mix of okay. what repercussions will happen for me uh, as a government employee. And again, a lot of this applies to academics too. What would happen to me as a government employee? What would happen to my agency? Like, would they be bombarded with phone calls and like press, et cetera? And, and, uh, and they also have a protective attitude toward the animals. Like what would happen to them? And it's, it's kind of natural for it's a natural, normal human thing. I've seen when people, good people, uh, have encounters with these things. One of the natural things they conclude is, you know, it's best we know that they are there. Maybe it's best for these things because if people knew, uh, then they might go after them, uh, or they might. Well, you know why I asked, oh. right, Matt? You know why what? I asked? Why about the government? Because people believe, and that, and I'm, and those are questions. People. People actually believe that the government is covering up the whole thing of the Bigfoot. Oh, absolutely. And and we hear that. I oh, mean, yeah. this we hear that on a on a constant level that mm-hmm. um, the, the Bigfoot's associated with UFOs, which is covered up by the government, and um, blah blah blah. I mean, that's why I ask because we have questions. And in fact, we're going to be taking a couple callers that are going to ask you directly their question. It, it, it's and it, you know, it's just it's tough. To like, we know that you believe. We know what you've done over the years since 1995. But there are people out here in this world that, especially the United States, that have seen these or gotten a glimpse or seen the TV shows and so on and so forth. Not only do they 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 recollect something, you know, that maybe I saw this, but they're also being told or whispered in the ear, you don't want to say anything. And sometimes the belief comes from you know hearsay. <clears throat> government they're covering it up it's the ufos well, but, uh, but, but, the, the aliens dropped granular. them off here to babysit us you know that type yeah, and, of thing but, i know i know but that's kind of simplistic because for example with the ufos let's use that as an example yes there, there is what you could call a cover-up over the years but we're talking specifically military where the members are they are i, I don't know if it's, uh, you know i've never been in the military but i know they are uh, bound they can't release things they can't I mean, there's strategic things. You can't just, like, in your military, talk about whatever you want that you heard. Uh, and, you know, so military, there's a lot of secrecy around that. Other government agencies, there's not. 
Fish and Wildlife mm. doesn't operate with like the same degree of strategic secrecy, except like maybe vis-a-vis right. poachers. But uh, so it depends, you know, secrecy on the ability to control uh, that stuff. Right. It'd be easier in the military, and that's of course who had the footage of the UFOs. So all they right. have to do is not release the footage. No one individually, I mean, they're not going to violate their secrecy of the military, but even if they did come forward <clears throat> and they say this happened, they say some videotape, the, what the, the UFO when that release came out, it me- would have meant nothing to the public but for the fact that there was videos from military aircraft right. showing these things. Uh, and so that was the way they showed, okay, they're real, we know about it, here's footage that we haven't shown to anybody, you know. And, and so without that, it would be like if you worked in the military and you decided, okay, I'm dying of cancer, terminally ill, I'm just going to step out and tell everybody, yeah, they're real, they're real. Nobody's going to take it. You've got to have something to show. Uh, and so right. the footage is not like gotten with, you know, the, the smartphone cameras of the fighter pilots. You know, it's, it's on you right. know, cameras right. that are on the planes, and they don't control that. They don't own that footage. So, again, you can, you can control the footage. That's how you can control the release. And same thing if, like, Fish and Wildlife had a body uh, or at some point it's, like, uh, or, or had, you know, it can, like, their car, say, had a, vehicles had a, or, or there were security cameras somewhere and they got it. it. You know, they can, somebody at the top can decide to hold on to that footage. Uh, and just by virtue of that, you can just, like, it'll be, quote, a cover-up. But no, it's just like, no, we're not releasing the footage. And why wouldn't you release the footage? Uh, and, and why did the government hold on for, for so long uh, with UFOs? You don't, I mean, you, the, the case of uh, uh, the hares from China at Ohio State, in a nutshell, some hares were brought from China thought to be from a yay run. Uh, they were going to be analyzed by Frank Poirier, Dr. Frank Poirier. He was an anthropologist. When word got hmm. out to the press, that he had hairs from China that might have DNA proving that Bigfoot's Yetis and stuff are real, the phone in the Department of Anthropology wouldn't stop ringing. And reporters were coming to the front desk. And it became, I mean, this, is, this was in the 80s. Uh, and it became a huge hassle, such a burden for the department uh, because of the press attention that he had to make an announcement to the press saying, we're dropping the study. We're not doing this. Wow. And uh, we've decided to go get it. And, uh, and I don't even, I don't remember what explanation. I think it basically said is we can't handle this. It's, it's getting, it's too much. But so imagine that with the government. The government says, you know, they know that if they release it, then they have to be prepared for, to right. answer a lot of questions. Uh, and they have to have their, their package ready that has all the questions answered or the statements they're going to make. Uh, ready so that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they don't have the press asking the questions where they're thinking, um, uh, let me think, how do we, uh, wait, you know. So it, it, that's a glacially slow process of them deciding, okay, we're going to release it, and we know how to do it, so our cozy government jobs where we can breeze out of the office at 3.30, where that isn't going to change, where, you know, where we can all, you know, where it, it'll just kind of go into the mix and it'll be smooth and the press isn't going to be standing at our doorstep. Uh, and they did that. And they, when they released it, it was like, okay, there it is with the media, and there's the footage, and here's all the questions that they'd be hit with. They're already answered. And, yeah. um, and so it may end up being that way with Bigfoots, too, at some point. They say, you know what? We really think these things are real. And we have every reason to believe that they're not harmful. Nobody's got to worry about it. 
uh, and there's no, no we, we don't have any reason to believe they've ever attacked or killed someone. Uh, the, the disappearances that have been supposedly att- attached to them, there's, that, that's just you know, speculation. And people do disappear in the woods for other reasons other than Bigfoot. Uh, so, I, you know, they, they might step forward. Because who would have expected, would you, like five years ago, would you have expected that the government, after all this time, knowing that at least on a military basis, they had encounters or they had footage of these weird objects. Everybody talked about that for a long time. Would you have thought five years ago, after all this time, that they were finally going to come forward and say, you know what, they're real. We admit it. These things are out of space. We right. don't know what they are. And, uh, and luckily they had footage from a pilot <clears throat> where he's watching it and they're following it. And it doesn't inspire a heck of a lot of panic uh, because the guy's watching going, whoa, that thing's, oh, check it out, which is just like expressing this kind of fascination with it, not fear of it, not terror, like, oh, my God, they're coming, you know, the the war of the world. (laughs) And that's really the proper emotion with all that stuff. Like UFOs, you know, you should appreciate it. Like, wow, it's really real. That's great. Same thing with Bigfoot's. Uh, same thing with ghosts. These things are, I, I, they're, I, they're not just benign. In a lot of ways, they're, I mean, which I don't get into detail, they're, they're benevolent in, 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 in various ways. But that's a whole other story. And we should probably <laughs> go to another question because we spent a lot of time on that one. <laughs> We're going to need another hour and a yeah. half for this show. <laughs> well, I just have, I have a couple questions that I just want to say really quickly, ask really quickly, because it's going back a ways now. They, they wanted to know um, if their diet, are they omnivores? Are they herbivores? Are they just solely carnivores? Um, they wanted to know that. They also wanted to know, like, have there been interbreeding with humans? Um, That's been a question that that I heard on several, like when I was watching videos on YouTube with people, other people being interviewed about Bigfoot. That was actually one of the questions that was brought up several times. Believe it or not. Okay, so we got two questions there. Ever interbred with humans? Uh, do I think they better mm-hmm. interbred with humans? And then the first one was food. Again, like uh, what? The, what do they? Eat? Oh, food. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, food omnivorous. Uh, but it's like you can say that level. It's so much more nuanced than just saying, oh, omnivorous. You know, but bears are omnivorous. Humans are omnivorous. Uh, right. Bears are omnivorous in a very different way than humans. But say their diet of, uh, of Sasquatches would be most like, uh, say, pre-farming, pre-Neolithic hunter-gatherer humans in, in temperate environments. So we, you know, which is different than tropical, uh, and it's uh, and even you know you're you're talking about going back so long that it's like it's just that the uh, uh, by the time humans got into temperate environments, they already had things like spears and dogs and things like that. So already it would have right. been they would have been doing it differently. But but in terms of the diet, it's anything they could eat, especially the proteins being the most important things, carbohydrates being the next. You need carbohydrates to keep you warm. You need proteins to grow and make everything function. Uh, and so the biggest score, and then, of course, there's fats, lipids. Uh, the biggest score of that stuff uh, is you get such a score out of animal meat, you know. Uh, and, and for them, uh, they, they don't have cattle. Uh, they'd be going after, like, elk, deer, and pigs. That'd be the primary thing. But <clears throat> the young, you know, and, of course, they hunt those down. And the liver of the deer, it's a very oily organ. There's other oily organs, and they like that stuff. 
So it's going after that type of protein, defines where they go, uh, and, and where there's a combination of that in term, and with other plant life, uh, and, I mean, things down to even like polywogs uh, or, or insects, uh, and, you know, where a lot of those things are in combination. Young ones, for example, will very often, when they're very young, they'll be around uh, swampy zones, marshes, <clears throat> because you can run around in that all day long and pick little things out of the mud or off the branches that are edible, insects and, and everything else. I mean, frogs, if nothing else. So you can, right. you can, a young one can stay put near a marsh, uh, and whereas bigger ones will go, will, you know, uh, or ones that maybe don't have young yet can range out very far and go from marsh to marsh, and, and they'll go, they're going after deer. Uh, so in the process of going after deer, they are also foraging on plant life. And, and all of that is very much the way, you know, Stone Age man operated. Uh, it was like you'd be omnivorous, you'd go after whatever things that you could gather, but what defined your lifestyle was following the herd. And then you're, you know, and, and which required that you don't stay, you're not in the same place forever. That only happened once there was farming. And of course there's exceptions. There's places like in the Northwest where the natives were, where you could have a tribe that would be parked at like a river mouth that was, can continually provide, you know, uh, flows of, of, uh, fish, uh, and things like that. But generally you're having to move, uh, to go because the deer don't stay put, especially when there's predators around. Uh, right, so, right. yeah, so they're omnivorous with an emphasis on big game. Right. And the second question, <clears throat> have they ever interbred with humans? I think that idea was floating around for a while because of Zana. Uh, oh, yeah. Guys... Zana, I forgot about that. I, um, she apparently was um, a child of a Bigfoot and a human. That's what they were saying, and they were trying to find DNA or something. I can't remember the whole story, but it is on YouTube. There is a story about it where she was supposedly a child of, of the two. Hmm. Yes, I remember that. And yeah. it was because she had a different look in her face, and she was supposedly very strong, stronger than the other kids. They did DNA eventually uh, from, <clears throat> yeah, I think it was from her remains or from something. And she was, she was, she was part African. She was part right. black, uh, and she was yeah. in a part of the Soviet Union where there, they, there wasn't, there's nobody else like that. And, and I don't remember what the story was, is how somebody uh, uh, would be, you know, how somebody of black ancestry would be up there. But she, she, was, she was part black. So she looked, dif- she looked so different, and she would have had darker skin. <clears throat> and conceivably, she could have been, you know, might have been a little stronger than the other kids uh, and, or, or growing up. But, uh, but yeah, so... Zana is not not a part of Bigfoot. Zana was in you know just a part of Asia where they they she would have been an anomaly, uh, and right. being part African, uh, and it is, I mean if you know about these things, it is absolutely genetically impossible for these things to interbreed with a human. It, it, it'd be like literally like the potential for an orangutan breeding with a human. And that's the, the definition of a species. One of the definitions is its ability to interbreed or not interbreed. So orangutan being a totally different species than a human, there's no way that they could, the genes that like the, the, there wouldn't be a viable baby. You got to have something kind of genes well, kind of close to intersect. And I think I would, interbreeding, I think- 
I would think that within orangutan, we have, within orangutan, our DNA would be a little further away from their DNA, so it wouldn't make it viable. But with why do you think a, that? Why, why do you think? Why, why do you think I, that, I think that, that orangutan DNA would be different? That, I, I think that it would be different because the way they sit, the way they walk, the way they, they do things, I think that it would just be a little further away than, than say, say, a chimpanzee. A chimpa- well, even, say, even um, a chimpanzee. Uh, um, a Sasquatch. I think it would. Oh, but you're being so superficial. <laughs> no, if a uh, orangutan had evolved, listen, to be I'm just not pretty, honey. I'm too <laughs> totally superficial. No, but let's I'm, assume I'm, orangutan would grow parallel. Let's say they grew upright. They, you know, had a large brain. They, they, they started looking a lot more human-like at the process of evolution. That because they would have like limb ratios that are more close and the upright and various things, that wouldn't mean their DNA would then more easily blend with humans. It's a matter of ancestry. Uh, right. And, and so, I, you know, I, they, so, I was being, I, I was just trying to get to the point of that no matter what monkey species they're a lot closer to us than say a cat it's been genetically proven what i'm saying though is i think that between an orangutan and the sasquatch ours may be closer than the orangutan that's what i said oh that's, that's, that's simplified a, yeah oh so that's okay. so you uh, oh, so you're I, just I, live, and i understand that. Closer. I, and yeah. i understand and that's I, why i wondered why and, it, and and i think it'd be your reason was because the appearance and things that you hear the sasquatches do oh seems no. so much more similar than it would seem that so much more similar than say an orangutan that therefore their DNA would be closer to a human because uh, they, 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 they seem more, there's a lot of things that match up with humans. And what I'm saying is that's, that's parallel evolution. I think these things came out of Southeast Asia. I think they're far now, more related listen, you to orangutans. You need to take that superficial Comment away now. <laughs> okay, I'm taking that superficial. I'm taking the superficial, but it's it, it's not superficial. But I, I understand. I mean, it's logical. It, 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 it's totally normal to make sense about it. And I think it, it, it's it, yeah, it's wrong to say superficial because you're. I mean, from my perspective, it seems that way because I have a pretty good idea of where they are from, and that they bran- would have branched off the same the family, our ancestors. A long, long time ago, like even you know right. before chimpanzees divided. I mean, these are Asian. Right. These, these were tree, you know, monkeys with tails. Uh, or no, no, this right. would have been an ape species, but one of very, very, very ancient ones. That when the when the continents were still connected, uh, that split off and then became the line of Asian apes in Southeast Asia. So orangutans are very, very different than African apes, uh, and the right. chimpanzees and gorillas being on a different continents, separated so much earlier. And so whatever comes out of Southeast Asia, no matter where it goes, is, gonna, is, is such an ancient connection to our ancestors that it just, it, it, right. it just it wouldn't work genetically. <laughs> but, but you wouldn't right. know. I mean, you'd have, to know, you'd have to know that whole lineage or at least, at least believe that, uh, you know, that, that that's, that is what their lineage. Otherwise, you know, it, it would seem logical that and, they might be closer. Right. And we definitely have to have more um... – I mean, you have the knowledge that we don't have with this stuff, and and you've done the research more from what you know where we stand. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're 
you know, ghost hunters or, you know, we're researchers of the things that we sit and talk to in the middle right. of the night with, you know, furniture and stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we're not tracking these things down. So like right. you are, but Matt, we have to say that, you know, it's, I, I do have one more quick question I have from sure. Brian Sasquatch referee, because he's been asking what's up with the new show. That's the whole reason he's in here. It's been a couple of times that he's asked. So what's up with the new the show? show is that in the process of development, I've been adding elements to it, bringing it to contacts, TV people, getting their feedback. Uh, when I finally get it to TV channels, I want more than one to want it. I don't want it just to be accepted by one. I want, right. I want more than one even bidding for it. So to build it to that strength, it was only a couple of weeks ago that, it, that I realized it was where it was vulnerable, that it needed another character. Uh, and I wanted to avoid four characters so people wouldn't compare it to finding Bigfoot. But there is now a fourth character added, uh, and we've been doing calls with him last week, and he's a great character. He was in, actually he was a witness in one of the episodes, and I don't want to say character. He's a ghost investigator, among other things. And so this wow. show is going to be looking Ooh. into various things, Bigfoots, UFOs, anything that happens on reservation. And you, you know, people only know these categories, Bigfoots, UFOs, and ghosts, and there's more than that, more categories. And it's wow. astounding. Uh, I mean, little people. It's like it's a you know. I I really do think this is a type of a. Uh, this is a like an undiscovered uh, you know uh, species, much much closely related to humans. I mean, they're 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 like a, and they might not, and they might actually be a separate species of humans, but like they wear clothes, or they they make themselves with buckskin, uh, and and <laughs> uh, and they look like like basically like pygmy Eskimos, uh, and uh, but yeah, those are those are real. Uh, and so we're going to check out a lot of those things. It was delayed. Like oh. I, said, it, it, I don't want to say it's delayed. It, it has been cooking so that it's going to be a very powerful show and the best one I ever did. It's, it, and it, I'm still saying it's probably going to start airing next year. <laughs> but it was good that we got, we're building it up to the point that when its first channels are first looking at it, that they're all going to want it, or several of them, rather than just going, eh, eh, I don't know, uh, yeah, maybe we'll take a chance. I, okay. I don't want to be in that position. I want to be in line with like everybody so, realizes this is going to be a huge hit and, and we all want it. When, when does it air? Do you know that yet? No. Next year, I'm predicting. So he's okay. predicting so, 2019. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, cool. Exactly. It takes that long. Yeah, so it'll Probably be... It, it'll, right. And, of course, you understand, I, even right now, <clears throat> I, even though Finding Bigfoot is over, I am still under contract with Animal Planet. Right, uh, so, right. I, you know, it, you couldn't, we couldn't have, I couldn't have started the production of this other series uh, a year ago such that it would be ready for TV right now, which is what everybody wants. Finding Bigfoot's over, give us, please give us our next series. I, I please wish it just was that easy. That you don't have Jack Baggins with you. Excuse me? Please tell me you don't have Zach Baggins with you. <laughs> no. No, they're, the characters are two, two Native women. Although I like that you don't like Zach Baggins, I actually I I I, I think the guy's really sincere about it. But I I mean I'm not I don't know like He's ghost hunter politics. He's yeah. just overly dramatic for my taste. Wow, that's amazing because I've always I mean, I kind of thought that at first, but it seemed like every lady loved him. You know, uh, no, not this lady. No, I'm not that superficial. No, there's a, there's actually a lot of people that. There's a lot of people that really don't care it's, for him, to be right, honest in, with you. In, and, the, in the ghost hunting in the ghost, industry. Uh, yeah. So, but unfortunately, oh, Matt, you know, 
We I'm we sorry. we have to cut you off, man, and and we have I'm to have sorry. you come back. Yes, we have to spend two hours with you because you have to do two. The, these these people are just blowing up the phones they and, and the chat rooms. How many people? I mean, we, how, how many people are trying to throw questions? I have I have. Oh, sorry, Ted. Um, She's kicking me. I have. <laughs> I'm trying to play footsie with him under the table, people. <laughs> Not working. I got well, between <laughs> right now between Periscope I, I have, and Facebook Live, and I mean right now we're in a dead spot. But yeah, I, ha- it, I had up to eighteen, twenty people, I believe, at one point. At one point, I'm at fourteen asking right now. Questions, asking but questions, but you're talking just live video. You're not talking audio um, or anything else. So we, you're probably it getting like fourteen hundred people. About fourteen hundred people. So, you know, it's it, it's 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 pretty good. You know, about fourteen hundred people asking questions and, and and viewing the live video part of this. Right, so. just the live part because we haven't even gone. I mean, yeah. once we stop it and edit it. and do everything, we catch another mm-hmm. thousand or two thousand people as well. So, you know, we do all right in this avenue. We are the only paranormal show in in upstate New York, and um, actually New York, as far as I know, and um, in mm-hmm. this area. So we're we're actually pretty popular there, and um, oh, great. we're the first. <laughs> Yes. So we would love to have you back. Yes, please come back. Yes, we would love to have you back. All right, Fantastic. all right. Well, thank you so much. I didn't even get to my questions, and you know, I had some more. And um, <laughs> well, I, 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 I we'll just... do it next time. Is instead of giving me giving, I'll, I won't give long-winded explanations to each answer. I'll just try to do the answers <laughs> quick, like yes, no, omnivorous, can't breed with humans. You know, blah, 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 blah. what's the next question? <laughs> Well, we just we just hate interrupting. Awesome. I mean, we get yelled at for interrupting because people don't realize the delay, and right. and and you know we just there's just so many questions I have, and um, we've had Steve on the show a few times, Big Cliff, we've had Bobo, um, I've, I've even had uh, Big Vinny from the uh, Nashville band. Um, um, shoot, now I go. Oh, uh, Jeez, no, I can't even think of the name of them. Oh, Trailer Choir. And he actually wants to go out and sit down and have a beer with Bigfoot. So, you know, we've had him on the show, too. (laughs) So, you know, uh, there's a lot. I mean, it's just a lot we have to to discuss. So I I will get a hold of you again, and we'll plan something, and um, we'll we'll dedicate the show to you. Am I going to be able to tweet a link that's going to go to a page where people can hear this report uh, recorded podcast. Oh, oh yeah. certainly. Yeah. I'm going to be sending it. Yes, I'm going to be sending it to you. Um, we'll edit. We'll do the video as well as. Yeah, I'll send you whatever I've got at that yeah, well, point. And the video part too. <laughs> yeah. And it's always on YouTube. Everything and, is is put on YouTube pages as well. We have our own YouTube called Paratalk Radio, and everything goes there. Yes, and if you want to uh, have some, so they can. Uh, a link. Send us your link as well, and we'll put that yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, page. you have. They can contact. Do you have a, a link that they can contact you on if they have more questions? Um, you know, what we do is we the BFRO takes in reports. So takes uh, reports. a lot of people have tons of questions. We have tons of information out there. Most questions people have are questions people have asked before. So I would just give a link to the BFRO site and then just go through the FAQ. Uh, and that would that that probably okay. hits right. most of the questions. But uh, otherwise, yeah, we have a report right. form for adding reports. That. So bfro.net is the link. Okay, and, and if they want, they can they can you know write down their questions and, and get them to me, and you know I can even just you know we'll we'll make the plan for Matt to come back and we'll. 
Yes. And and we'll go right. from there. So awesome. save your questions, folks, and um, we'll definitely come back with Matt. We'll we'll have him back on the show, and um, it'll go from there. Thank you, thank you again, Matt, so much for joining us here at Paratalk Radio. We really do appreciate it. You are Thank very you welcome, so and, and, and we will hook it up again. All right. Sounds, sounds great. good. All right. Thanks, Matt. Take care. All right. I believe Andrea Perrin is on the phone. We're going to come back with her shortly right after commercial. Flashlight Recorder and Comfortable Shoes, a simple guide to paranormal investigation. Written by Keith Spratley and Ted Van Son. If you're looking to join the living who research the paranormal or the unknown, this book will guide you into developing your techniques. Reverend Tim Shaw says, The work will guide you along your journey to seek the truth about life after death. Available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. And you can find a direct link on paratalkradio.com. Get your copy today. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has captivated you with their true reports of the strange and unknown. But things just got better. Join host Todd Bates Sunday night, 6, 5 central for Fate Radio. We bring you the best interviews, stories, and most of all, bring these true reports of the strange and unknown to life. Fate Radio with Todd Bates Sunday night, 6, 5 central at FateMagRadio.com. All right, we are back here. Hola. Guys, thank you so much for, for sitting in for the first hour and ten minutes, and I feel so bad because... Andrea, are you on the phone? I am. I'm right here. Oh, oh hi, honey. Andrea. I see 407 in AZ. Yes. Uh. <laughs> there, is, there is a little bit of a delay between us, about three to four seconds, right. just so you're aware. Um, so. Okay. If you hear us, I'm sorry. We're not trying to interrupt. It's just because of that delay. Yes. Don't worry about that at all. I'm used to it. Perfect. So I'm going to start this out real quick by saying we have uh, Miss Andrea Perrin on the show. And and, um, she has um, got a series of books out called House of of Darkness, House of Light. Um, And it's basically about um, her experiences uh, in Rhode Island at – Harrisonville, I believe, is the the, the town. I always or Harrisville. Harrisville. Sorry. Yep, Harrisville, Rhode Island. And um, ten years, her family went through the the whole incident, which is the real Conjuring no. story, nope. not not just the movie. Nope. Um, you guys have the and and I have to tell you, Cindy. I have goosebumps all over my body Last already. night, I, I I I messaged Andrea and I said I listened to you when I went to bed last night. I watched probably ten <laughs> or twelve videos. Tried to stay awake and just kept watching them over and over and over. And at some point, I fell asleep and came back up with some stupid thing playing on my oh, gosh, <laughs> phone. Oh, yeah, so, because they just but, keep cycling through Yeah, she's like, oh, was it good that I put you to sleep? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, people <laughs> often tell me that I have a very soothing voice and that well, um, like it that. makes them feel um, kind of woozy. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, perhaps that's to be excited. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's um, it's well, uh, I, it's a good thing though. It is because you know even if you're unconscious, you're taking stuff in. 
So it's yeah. perfectly fine. Well, I, I when I got to the studio here, I was like, um, am I going to remember everything? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. there is so much that when we interviewed the first time that we didn't get to, um, we didn't get to go over. And um, you missed it, Cindy, because you didn't yeah. know. But I had tried friending Andrea last year and mm-hmm. she actually had to dump a cousin or something to get me as a friend. Oh my God. That's <laughs> awesome. Right? Because sometimes they have quotas and you yeah. To... Yeah. And it was just, it's so great that, you know, I'm, I feel bad for her cousin, not, but you know, <laughs> Jeez, Sorry. You're so funny. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, what I want to do is I want to go back a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. I dropped my pen. Um, yeah, I want to go back a little bit and just cover um, briefly because people have seen the movie. I mean, the movie came out in 2013. I believe so. And mm-hmm. they've watched the movie, and they can Google pretty much anything. And YouTube has, you know, an amazing amount of literature or video on it, I should say. And your books um, are just amazing from what I understand. I have not read them. I want to read them. Um, I still have not gotten to purchase them yet, but I, I, I want to. Um, we have so many things on our list. There is so much going on with us. Oh, my gosh. We have so and many things on our list to purchase, so I, we have to. I know. We sometimes have to. I know. I know. And put it in order. We still haven't even raised enough money for our werewolf baby. Um, I know. People, we need a werewolf baby. <laughs> but, you know, and we have some <laughs> very big events for Prayer Talk Radio for the first time ever. We've, we've advanced ourselves to a, a level of actually um, moving forward in, in, a, in a good speed to where more people are getting to listen to understand our point of views with some of the stuff within the paranormal, which is great. Like Scarefest this year, we're going to be there. We're going mm-hmm. to be at the Gettysburg um, Battlefield Bash this year. Um, we we just became um, the um, Ghost Hunters Day. Actually, it's the world's largest ghost hunt. We are going to be there, yeah. um radio station for that night. So, I mean, there's Yay. so much going on for us that um, – we actually have a hard time keeping up with certain things, but enough about that. Um, Andrea, why don't you take us back to you guys oh, nice. moving into the farmhouse? Why don't we start there? Well, um, I will tell people as um, a little preamble that I do have two YouTube channels, um, Andrea Perrin YouTube and House of Darkness, House of Light. Uh, and they are uh, interactive, so you can basically, if something's loaded on one, it goes automatically to the other. Um, so, oh, nice. as you know, there's a ton of material out there, most of which I produced. Uh, and mm-hmm. I did that because uh, The Conjuring really barely scratches the surface of our story. It would have been impossible for them to compress 10 years into two hours. So right. they basically cherry-picked a little of our story and a very little. There isn't a single scene in The Conjuring that comes directly from my books, not one. They did not reference. Um, they did not use. They referenced, but they did not use any of the material in my books, um, not only because I contractually had them tied up pretty tightly, but also because uh, they were afraid to tell the real true story. What's in those books um, makes uh, The Conjuring pale in comparison. And they were afraid that it would... 
Yeah, I'm going to interrupt Pardon? you. I, I, I said I'm going to interrupt you for a minute because I, I really I understand what you're saying that that some of it is, is is scary beyond belief from what I understand and what you're conveying to us. But with the amount of stories and and horror mm-hmm. flicks that we see, I am I am actually um, kind of disappointed that that they wouldn't run some of the facts. Um, yeah, on that. Right. And I, I, I'm hoping that not because I heard that you were going to be creating a movie or a series of your own about the book and what actually yes. happened. And I hope that's true. Yeah, I had a coast to coast meeting with my producers today and um, awesome. and we're moving forward and it's going to be a series of films. Uh, it will be uh, at a very minimum three. And it might be more. It depends on the production staff that I get, how we lay it out, how we storyboard it. Uh, I think you're familiar enough with that end of the business to know that these things do not happen overnight. I have been working on the screenplays for the better part of two years uh, in between Mm. writing an entirely new book um, and uh, publishing my last book, which is in a flicker that I wrote about – uh, of all things, Jack the Ripper. Uh, it was a radical <laughs> departure for me. Uh huh. Yeah, mm. it was a radical departure in a flicker. Anybody that out there listening that's an aficionado of uh, Jack the Ripper and wants to be terrified out of their minds and think differently about everything after they're done reading a book, uh, please avail nope, yourself awesome. of in a flicker. And you can check it out at inaflickernovel.com. It's a brilliant idea. And I say that with all humility because it's not my idea. Um, I would never have come up with that in a billion years. Uh, But George Lopez, my co-author, is actually the one uh, in whose um, really dark, twisted mind uh, that this uh, story originated. I mean, he is an evil genius. He is, and it is a story unlike anything. I mean, honest to God, yeah, I want you to read the trilogy, and that's great, but if you want to be blown out of your chair, read In a Flicker. Um, It's gotten almost exclusively five-star reviews from all around the world. I'm very proud of it. And, you know, I... I, when I talk about it, I tell people, you know, from the depth, the depths of its darkness comes the enlightenment, the understanding of man's inhumanity to man. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that and, and that's the purpose that it serves. You know, the reason that I got involved with that, and I know I've gone off topic. I will go back. I know where we were going. But <laughs> You're I, fine because that I, happens I, to us all the time. <laughs> well, I just, I, I'm very, very proud of this because – Uh, And the reason that I got involved with it was because after I finished the trilogy, I went into um, the strange kind of uh, almost like postpartum depression. Like I had fulfilled my purpose on earth, telling our story of the 10 years we lived at the farm, that I had done that, that the truth was out there, regardless of what, you know, anybody that saw The Conjuring and wanted to know more, it was there for them to know. So I felt like in some ways, you know, I was floundering. I, you know, what do I do next? What do I do? Am I going to just, you know, go to paranormal conferences and sell my books for the rest of my life? I don't think so. You know, there's so (laughs) much more. I mean, 
I work in ufology. That's my real love. That's the newest book that I'm getting ready to publish now. You know, it's, right. I, I'm an ongoing preacher. So, but anyway, I took a, a little bit of a, a detour. Um, George called one night uh, just to check on me because he knew I was in a dark place. You know, I was just in a low spot in my life and uh, and no reason to be, no reason. I mean, I, everything was going so well, you know, and the movie was a huge success and yada, yada, and there was no yeah. reason for me to feel depressed. Um, and so he called me. It was like 11 o'clock at night, and he's like, let me tell you a story, like a bedtime story. Well, honest to God, it curled my hair. It took him two <laughs> hours. I had to go through three handsets of phones. I'm running through the house trying to find another one that's charged up so that I don't miss a word of this. And when it was done and I was wiping the tears away from my face, I'm like, good God, George, you have got to write this down. And he said, I'm a thinker, not a writer. And I said, I'm a writer. I'll write it down for you. And the reason that I, I got involved with it is because, you know, if you walk up to anybody on the street and ask them if they've ever heard of Jack the Ripper, you know what the answer is going to be. He is infamous worldwide. His crimes are infamous worldwide. Anybody who knows anything, if they know their own name, they've heard of Jack the Ripper. If you ask right. that same individual if they know any of the names of his victims, you get nothing but deer in the headlights. And I right. can tell you that when you're done reading this book, you'll know all of these women intimately and why they lived the way they did and precisely how they died. That's awesome. And I got to tell you, because we, um, for us, it's also, um, believe it or not, Jack the Ripper is, is one of we ours. Love um, we love him. Yeah, we want to, um, actually, we were, we were invited to go over to London um, from a friend of ours, Jason Whitnell, to go over there, and he was going to show us the whole thing. Show for, us around. Show us around for Jack the Ripper, because mm-hmm. we actually All wanted to go into it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. So, unfortunately, there's another book we got to add to our collection of mm-hmm. to buy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Read it first. You can always read the trilogy later, and you know me personally, so if you have a question about what happened at the farm, I can always just tell you. Just call me. You know, it's it's not that. I think Flickr... Flicker will will uh, blow your mind, absolutely Damn. blow your mind. And I think in some ways, in terms of you know what you do in your own research and everything, it it will right. expand your consciousness in terms of what you're doing uh, with your research and your investigations and everything. Because it really is not only is it the ultimate murder mystery, but it is um, a, it's a very honest, forthright treatment. The very worst of it is is uh, derived directly from the annals of English history, uh, right from mm-hmm. the medical reports, the coroner's reports, wow. the examiner, the, I mean, Ed, we the the oh, the research that went into it, it's amazing, but it's a it's a uh, an interesting um, conflagration between real characters and fictional characters, and it's very scientifically based, and it involves the Large Hadron Collider in, uh, at CERN in uh, Switzerland. So I uh, can't tell you too much more than that because no. it's the oh, kind of book where if you crazy. tell somebody anything, you're going to spoil something. You know, it really right. is. It's not that I'm trying to be vague or obtuse. I just can't tell you a lot without spoiling something for you. 
So um, I'll leave it at that, and then I'll move on to the farmhouse. Say that again, honey. I said, yes, leave us hanging on the edge, wanting more. But, but. What were you going to say? You were going to say something else. So I have, I have a couple things that have been asked. One was, were you paid for the rights regarding the conjuring? Also, um, we're being asked if Ted and I can have <laughs> cameos in your movies. <laughs> uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Phil. Yeah, you would not. I mean, these people have got the 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 weirdest sense of humor sometimes, and they do, you know, they ask the questions that just sometimes you don't expect. And Bill is trying to get us famous, though. He oh, is. is that what he's trying to do? He wants to get us famous. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to be famous. No. All right, let's get let's get back into this. So yeah, yeah. Let's start with uh, when you guys moved in and and go right from there because I would love to get as much of this in our program as we can, and then towards the, the end, do some questions. How about if we do our commercial really quick? Well, um, well, we, we kind of, well, we can. I mean, why don't we do the quick commercial, and then we'll, we'll start in, and we'll give her as much time as she's wanted at this point, and not mm-hmm. even, no more commercials, no more breaks. Yeah. Is that okay with you, Andrea? That's fine. All right. One Perfect. more commercial. We'll be right back. Digital Ink Art is a local company that specializes in screen printing, heat transfers, logos, vehicle graphics, and stickers. They are located in Albion, New York, between Rochester and Buffalo, and they make it real easy for anyone to get their brand printed. The website, digitalinkarts.com, is undergoing a new look, but you can still contact them on Facebook or by calling 585-200-2400. So don't forget, digitalinkarts.com. All right. Oh, God. Phil, <laughs> Phil, you are cracking me up tonight. You and Robert, of course. And Robert's over in Australia. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's where we're reaching tonight, Andrea, just so you know. Yeah. All the way over there. Are you there, Andrea? Did we lose you? Andrea? Hello? Did you? Break. <laughs> <laughs> I think we lost her. No, I'm right here. Oh, oh sorry. I was talking here. to my dad. I thought it would be a little longer. <laughs> no, you're that's all right. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. But Hi, anyways, dad. Hi, yeah. Andrea's dad. We were we were we were basically um, telling you that some of our viewers or some of our um, yeah viewers actually because mm-hmm. this was uh, the Facebook Live app that they're. We're reaching for for you all the way over to Australia tonight. We're we're reaching all over the place tonight for you. My God, Bill, you're cracking oh, me cool. up. Oh, cool. I have a lot of uh, followers uh, out of Australia and New Zealand for some reason. I guess just because they're English speaking and everything I've written is in English, and I haven't had it uh, translated yeah, we, into yeah, other languages. Yeah, we actually have a lot of fans from there, that, and it, and we find it interesting as well. Is that you know we we have such a huge following over there. It's cool. Yeah, they're really, really into the paranormal, and they're very, um, uh, they're really smart about it. I guess is the best way to put it. They're uh, very uh, much um, into the uh, the scientific aspects of it. At least that's been my experience with the people that I've interacted with. Uh, And and, humor, you know, really, yeah, and very fascinated. Mm -hmm. Truly, 
fascinated. And they have plenty of haunted places over there, too. So, you know, it's yeah. not like they have a shortage. <laughs> okay, so where do you want to um, where well, do you want to pick up I from? To, I wanted to kind of bring that the first thing the the first thing that got me was when the, when the story first when you first started telling the story live um, was this well was where you were saying that when you you guys first got there to to move into the place you were talking about your father handing you a box and then walking into the house with a box and. And you had to walk through the first door and you had to walk through all the house to get to where your mother was. And you saw somebody standing in the. Yeah, that happened within five minutes. It was January 1971. We had bought the house in 1970, but my parents closed on it in December and my mom didn't want us to move right at Christmas. So we waited until the beginning of the new year and after Christmas vacation, so that we could start uh, the second half of the school year in our new school. Um, so, you know, she was very pragmatic about it, as anxious as she was to move in. We had visited the house a number of times as a family before we actually moved in, because my mom found the house in June of 1970, and we got to know the owner, Mr. Kenyon. And he, mm. the, the day that we moved in, he took my father for a little stroll out in the middle of a snowstorm, And at that point, he said um, to my dad uh, in a rather cryptic way, um, Roger, for the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. And my father, not, um, you know, ghosts and spirits weren't even on the radar. That wasn't anything that wasn't in our consciousness as a family. Uh, My mother wanted the house because it was one of the original colonial homes left in in, uh, Rhode Island and in America. Um, it was the land was deeded for it in 1680, and the house was completed in 1736. So it's wow. you know a, a really old place, and she was just enthralled with the history and uh, and just the natural beauty of the place. We had a, it was 200 acres. It was an amazing piece of property, and we loved it. And and we went uh, a number of times to visit Mr. Kenyon and to visit the farm and kind of get acclimated to it and and you know the adults could talk about uh the all the the sale and the business arrangement ends of things but we ran around like banshees all over that property in and out of the house and in and out of the barn and none of us um had any recollection of seeing anything strange or in any way odd um and but the day that we moved in it's almost like they waited, you know? It's like they waited until the papers were signed and there was no way out um, before they decided to manifest. And the um, uh, the moment that I walked into the dining room with a box, I was heading for the kitchen, uh, I said good morning to Mr. Kenyon, who was standing in the dining room packing the last of his belongings. And then as I walked through the foyer, there was a man standing at the entrance to the foyer that I had to walk right past. And I said, good morning to him. And he didn't respond to me. In fact, he looked right through me and he was dressed in a very odd manner. Uh, Nothing I had ever seen before in terms of clothing or style. And I went into the kitchen and I asked my mom who the man was that was with Mr. Kenyon. And she said, there's nobody with Mr. Kenyon. His son's on the way, but he's not here yet. 
And I said, but, uh, you know, <laughs> there's, you know, and, and, you know, it wasn't her fault that she didn't go check. It was bedlam and chaos and the moving guys were bringing stuff in the kitchen door and people were bringing stuff in the parlor door. And it was just, there was so much activity. Right. And then Christine came in the kitchen with her box off the back of the truck because dad was handing the boxes out uh, to the four eldest of us um, that could handle that. April was in the kitchen with mom and Cindy came into the kitchen. Uh, Christine did. And she's like, mom, that man that's wearing the funny clothes, you know, who is he? And she's like, I don't know who you're talking about. And we just, you know, kept on going. And then Cindy walked in and she asked who the man was with Mr. Kenyon and then Nancy walked in and leaned over to Cindy and she said, did you see that, that man that was with Mr. Kenyon? I did. And he just disappeared. And that was our introduction to the supernatural realm. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And to say that you guys have never had any, any type of connection or experience of, of, of any type of ghostly activity prior to this. So, you know, no, it's not something we brought with us. That's for sure. And, you know, it took a long time before we started to really get to know people in the area, but it didn't take that long for us to figure out not only what was going in on in the house, but that many, many people in the area knew it. Um, that house had a reputation that uh, nobody informed us of before my mother and father made the purchase of their lifetime. I mean, it took everything that they had to buy this estate, and it was because... Yeah. My mom wanted to raise her kids in the country. And, you know, right. there were some bad things that were happening in our hometown of Cumberland, Rhode Island. Uh, and it was it was just compiling. It was just a, a real issue for her. And she started looking, and it turned out that we were meant to have that place. Um, it wasn't until five months after she found it that she uh, was informed at the closing from the real estate agent that um, she called the first day that they had listed the property and they had a six-month listing on it. Um, and um, hers was the one and only call that ever came in to, for that house. Wow. What? Yeah, so it was kind and of And like it was on the first day. Yeah, it was the first day that they had advertised it. And she was the one and only call. And, and what, <laughs> what amazes me is that it, with a house – with the history, I mean, I'm just going to kind of throw this out there real quick. It, it is like we have the haunted Hinsdale house here in New York and um, that place has always had history. It's always had some um, stories, you know what I mean? There's always been something said about it before, you know, somebody else came in and told their story about the house. Um, so I was, that's where I was going with this was with you as like, before you guys moved in, I'm sure there had to be other stories and people had right. to know that the place was haunted or there was some, you know, tragedies or so on and so forth in that, in that area. I mean, neighbors had to know and, Hence um, to know people inquiring <clears throat> about the, yeah, house I mean, cause came. we know like in New York, it's now a law. They right. have to tell you. Yeah. If the place is yeah. noted for being haunted. Think about it this way. I mean, that was back in 1971. That's, right. That's when I was born. Yeah, because you're so yeah, young. These are, yeah, those were things. That was a, a very, very much a taboo subject back then. Right. Um, and, you know, yeah. as we were little kids and experiencing these things, 
and telling our friends that, you know, our new friends at school, things that were happening in the house. And then they, you know, people would come over and have things happen to them. And, and it was, uh, you know, word got around really fast. And the principal of the high school uh, pulled me into his office one day and said, if I get one more phone call from a parent distressed about what their child is going home and telling them, I'm going to have you expelled. Don't say another word about your so-called oh, haunted house. Right, because for and a child. And I was a straight A student, you know. I mean, this was, I, you know, I was, my visions of college were already dancing like sugar plum fairies in my head. And I had never been called to the principal's office for anything in my entire life at that point. I was absolutely right. mortified that he called me a liar. Um, that was, right. I, I couldn't, I mean, he was, he was uh, physically threatening to me, put me up against mm-hmm. a wall. You know, I mean, I was terrified and I shut my mouth. I didn't say right. anything to anybody for years and years and years. We kept it right in the family. Right. Well, I, I, I recognize that because I was in school in the 70s and, you know, that's the way it was. The whole uh, feeling back then was it was it was very taboo to talk about ghosts or oh, anything God, like yeah. that. And, you know, if, if I remember high school to where if if you said something that somebody else didn't agree with, I mean, the principal or guidance counselor would pull you in and they would just jack you up against the wall. And they were able to do that without calling home, you know, and mm-hmm. they couldn't be arrested. Any of that stuff, but today you can't even pluck a hair out of somebody without getting, you know, I was, child welfare services on I your butt. Well, I'll tell you what, if I had been this age now when he tried something like that on me, I would have flattened it, him. Yeah. Right, and and that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, you're not going to call my child a liar and get away with it. Well, back then it was acceptable to be I, that way. I remember. I mean, we used to uh, teachers used to be able to hit kids. Oh I yeah. Mean, think about it. Oh way. yeah. Think about rulers. Do you know how many times I got yeah. hit by a ruler or yardstick? But you know, yeah. back then <laughs> in the seventies, with the with the hauntings and with now we have to make something clear because <clears throat> I have been watching your the videos and I have been you know doing my research on this. And yes, you and I are friends, Andrea, and I wanted to dig in to, to find out what was, you know, what I was missing in some of this. And I think because of the movie, people are assuming that Bathsheba was the, the biggest evil entity in the world when it came to that house. And, and what I believe is that there was more than just her there, and, and she was not the only one that was tormenting everything that was, you know, the, the people that were living in that house. There was other spirit as well oh i'm getting you just did that and all of a sudden it took me to the house i'm freaking out right now because they're they're telling me that you were talking about bathsheba or Bathsheba, something, yeah but they're telling me she also was protecting them so i haven't read your books i'm sorry and for the conjuring i saw it one time so i'm i'm I, I'm just not doing well with horror movies these days. Mm-hmm. But literally, they are talking to me as you're talking about this. Right. So there was, not only was there, I have other entities that are saying that they were trying to protect you guys, Andrea. Are you aware of that? There there, there were entities in the house. There were um, spirits in the house. Uh, one man 
uh, at least one man, possibly two, I definitely have a man. and one and one woman for sure um, that was oh. very benevolent, very loving, and very protective of us. Uh, in okay, fact, my you... sisters. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, what I was, just, I was just saying. Did did you say that one of them had military clothes on? Because I keep seeing military no. clothes on the gentleman. Okay, the gentleman no, has military clothes on. Yeah, um, we had, um, well, one of the, the things, the first things that happened was that my little sister, Cindy, who was only, I think, seven or eight, um, I, I think, yeah, she had turned eight uh, when we moved to the farm, um, uh, just before we moved to the farm, in fact. Um, she came to my room within within a night or two of us moving into the house. I don't know if it was, I don't remember if it was the very first night, but within the first few days, she came crawling into bed with me and she was very afraid. And I asked her what the problem was. He's telling me he likes your sister. Yeah. um, Well, there were, uh, she heard voices in her room. And she said that they were there were a se- uh, several voices. They were all speaking at once, and they were all saying the same thing at the same time. And what they were saying is, there are seven dead soldiers buried in the walls. There are seven dead soldiers buried in the walls. Oh my God! I over have, and I'm over gonna... and over and over again, to the that point of the distraction, to the point that she could not sleep, and so she would come and crawl into bed with me. Uh, and, you know, I had the big bed and plenty of room for everybody, and I very seldom did I wake up alone. It was, you know, somebody came to to me for comfort or just because something had happened in their room that had frightened them. And so we learned very quickly that we were sharing space in that house uh, and that it was their house first. So right. the way that we perceived it is, you know, my mother basically – once, you know, within a f- like five or six month period, um, we all understood that there was something. Um, we didn't use the words supernatural. We didn't use the words paranormal. Those words did not come into, you know, regular use in the vernacular for many years after that. Um, it was okay. uh, it was just we talked about the ghost. We saw the ghost. There was a ghost. There was, you know, I mean, we didn't. We didn't even know what we were seeing. We didn't know what we were feeling, what we were experiencing. We were just little kids. Um, and so, but it was also happening to my mother. Um, the reason that Bathsheba was made the villainous of The Conjuring was because um, in 1973, when Ed and Lorraine Warren showed up at our kitchen door and my mother did not go seek them out, she had no idea who they were when they came to the house. Um, and it was the night before Halloween in 1973 that they showed up. And when they did, um, Mrs. Warren came in the house and she closed her eyes and touched our black stove. And she said, um, I sense a malignant presence in this house. Her name is Bathsheba. And Bathsheba Sherman, which was the only Bathsheba in that area at the time who did not live in that house, uh, had married Judson Sherman and lived about a mile away at uh, Sherman Farm, which was on an adjacent road. Um, but she did have some connection to that house. And there was town historian at the time uh, knew her when he was a little boy. She died when he was 10 years old. She died in 1885. 
Um, so he was very, very old when we met him. Uh, and he lived at one of the adjoining farms, uh, property that adjoined our own on the back end of the 100 acres. Uh, and he, in Massachusetts, actually. And he's the one that told my mother that Bathsheba Sherman uh, had been in that house and that she had uh, had an infant in her care and that the infant died in the house and that when the body was examined, they found that a needle had been impaled at the base of its skull. Uh, and the cause of death, death was convulsions. And, of course, there was an inquiry, uh, an inquest, um, which happened uh, in a uh, nearby town, which was really kind of like the county seat at the time uh, in Chapachet. And there was no evidence. There was certainly no DNA evidence. There was nothing, um, you know, to charge her with. Um, she said, you know, whatever happened, it had to have been an accident and that she had nothing to do with it and would never have harmed a baby et cetera, et cetera, and the judge in the case just dismissed it. But in the court of public opinion, she was, um, you know, tried and convicted. Uh, and the women in town hated her. Apparently, she was a very beautiful woman uh, because of the Revolutionary War uh, and all the wars. There were a shortage of men, um, and women were very covetous of their husbands if they got one. Um, and right. so right. she was considered a threat by the women and she was, um, considered, uh, you know, a ravishing beauty by the men. So, uh, she had a reputation right. that hung over her life long. She lived from 1812 to 1885. The spirit that was haunting and taunting my mother was long dead before Bathsheba Sherman was even born. Wow. So, I think maybe she just happened to look it up, to be honest. I, that's what I heard. I mean, I, I, so can I, I go ahead. So, um, Andrea, have you, have, do you know some of the names and such not besides the one that uh, Lorraine Warren had given you? I, I keep hearing a name. So do you know what West means? No, um, we, you know, the thing is, it's, it's almost like, I, I know this sounds callous, but to me, I, I don't care who they were. That they is what is amazing. That they still well, inhabit or dwell there is amazing. None of them ever walked up and said, hello, my name is. So we don't know from any of them who they actually are. All we could do is discern from the historical record and things that happened in the area or in the house roughly at that time, who might be, you know, who, what, when, where. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't even really have any interest in, in determining who their character was. To me, the, the phenomenal thing is that there were spirits in the house. You know, that still, I mean, I'm almost 60 years old. It still blows my mind that mm -hmm. I've seen what I've seen in this life. They want to talk to you. Well, I have actually had, I have actually had um, uh, a spirit box session with George Lopez, who's, you know, just deeply enmeshed in the scientific end of the exploration of this. And I did a, a ghost box, uh, spirit box session with him one time, uh, and he called her forth and she came, but she threw my voice and he told her no. No, you don't get to use Andrea's voice. You use your own voice. And when she came back through, 
it was that almost of a little girl. I mean, she had a very, she was a very diminutive woman, um, and she had uh, a very small, kind of shrill voice. And she came through, and he asked her, he um, asked her point blank uh, what one word she associates with me, and she said love. So I spent seven years of my life tethered to a keyboard to write the trilogy, House of Darkness, House of Light, that was supposed to be one book, and it was too big to print as one book. It had to be broken into three sections to tell the whole story of the 10 years that we lived in that house. Uh, And there were things that happened in that house that I did not include uh, because my sisters asked me to leave those stories out. Um, But they have since gotten more comfortable with sharing and they did allow me to put those stories into the screenplays. So there are actually going to be things in my films that people didn't get to read in the books. And, you know, I might at some point go back and add them in, you know, expand on, on some of the stories, Mm -hmm. but, you know, for the most part, I think people get the gist of it. You know, it was, we were steeped and immersed in a place that had multiple dimensions in existence simultaneously. There were times where there was one time particularly where my mother had her moment of epiphany when she finally understood what was happening in the house and she'd gotten up late one night she asked me to go make some food in the kitchen for her I went through the dining room all the lights were off the house was shut down for the night she was leaning over to throw another log on the fireplace and she heard laughter behind her and she turned around and looked into our dining room and the dining room was fully lighted with candles and oil lamps and there was a bunch of furniture in there that was not ours. And there was an entire family that was having dinner in our dining room. And she stared into that room and watched them. There were two men sitting at the table. One of them looked into the parlor and made direct eye contact with her and nudged the man beside him and pointed her out. And my mother was the ghost. Right. And that's, I, they were so looking the that- into the future while we were looking into the past. Right, right. Exactly. Right. I, 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 I love the. I, I want to say this, but I want to make it to where it's. I liked the movie. Okay, let's let's put this. I liked the you movie. You have to move away from me. Sorry. He will. Um, I liked the movie, but I find the stories and stuff like watching the videos of Andrea telling the actual stories. I like what she portrayed through her lectures more so than the story because I think we're at an age where people want to know more truth right. than they right, do right. superficial. Well, um, hokey. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you know, and that's, that, that's the, the underlying issue with films that are quote unquote based on a true story or true events or true. I mean, they, they, <clears throat> literally conjured up their own third story. They cherry-picked what Mrs. Warren had in her case files, um, and that was not accurate. Uh, But they took that, and they used that as the foundation to to write their own third story based on what I told them, based on what they had from her. They created their own third story. They went with, you know, the Hollywood method, the formula that works. And that includes an exorcism, which never occurred in our house. 
My mother was not possessed. My mother was attacked during a seance, and it was so horrible and so gruesome that it literally qualifies as the worst moments of my life. And thank God my mother has no recollection of it whatsoever, but I guarantee you everybody else that was in that room that night remembers every single detail of that night. And it is far worse than anything that was portrayed in The Conjuring. You know, my mother never had a sheet thrown over her. She didn't levitate upside down in her chair. And Ed Warren would never in a million years have attempted to conduct an exorcism on his own. He was literally the only layperson in the world at that time that was trained in the sacred rite of exorcism through the Catholic Church. And as a devout Catholic, he would never have broken his own vows to the exorcists who trained him and taken matters into his own hands in that way. That would never have happened. And I know that because Lorraine Warren was crying when she said to me, Ed would never have done that. Not ever would he have done that. You know, so no. there were there were elements of of the film that were upsetting. I mean, I watched it more as a as a work in terms of filmmaking. You know, I thought James Wan did a remarkably good job with it and there were elements of the of the film that were true and there were very strange things that happened in the movie that they couldn't possibly have known about including the scene where the camera kind of banks around and goes into my room and the young lady who played me in the film was Shanley Caswell and um, as the camera comes into her room if you watch the film again you'll see that there's a, a folk art drawing of a white cat propped up on the mantel board in her bedroom. Um, I have that exact same picture that was given to me for my 13th birthday when we lived at the farm by my mother's best friend. I found it at a flea market and I fell in love with it and it was 50 cents and I asked my mother if she would buy it for me for my birthday, which was the next day. And my mother didn't have 50 cents on her to buy me that picture. So her girlfriend did. Right. You know, I and remember. to see that picture up on the mantel board in Andrea's bedroom um, told me everything that I needed to know. Uh, nobody working on that film knew that I was in possession of that picture. Nobody had ever seen it. I never gave them any inside photographs of the house. Uh, all they wanted for photographs from, from me was uh, a picture of our family together, which appears at the end of film um and um it's i mean it's reason enough to go buy a lottery ticket what are the chances that in the um you know the set and stage design department that they went through stuff from the 70s and picked out the exact same picture that i've had in my possession for low these many decades that is crazy it's impossible you know, right. they they used the same wallpaper print that we had inside the house. They didn't know what the wallpaper looked like in the house. There are 25,000 different patterns of colonial-type wallpaper, and they yeah. chose the one that we had in the house without ever knowing. So there were, there were cosmic connections between our right. story yeah. and that story and many, many more. Um, I never even put in the book that our dog was killed right after we moved to the house. I did not put it in the book. 
because I thought that it was such a sad story and the way he died was so terrible that I didn't want to run off my reader by, you know, having them close the book and go, I just can't do this. This is too sad. This is too morose. This is too, oh, my God. You know, so I left it out. And uh, right. and there it was in the film of, of their dog, Sadie. Uh, and it was actually our dog, Schultz, that was killed. I mean, they could have been playing off what they read about uh, when one of the reasons that we moved from Cumberland was because Cumberland was encroaching on us. There was uh, a lot of negative behavior, a lot of negative attitudes. The boys all seemed to go from being our playmates one year to budding criminals the next. Um, and one of the things that happened while we lived there was that my father came home with a puppy one day and my mother picked up the puppy and held her up in her arms and she said, this is a special dog. She deserves an equally special name. And she closed her eyes. And when she opened her eyes, she said Bathsheba. Now, none of us had ever heard that name. We didn't know the biblical <laughs> reference to it. We did not know where that came from. And the first thing that we did, since it was a big, hard, long name, was we abbreviated it. And she became Sheba. But my mother named that dog Bathsheba. And then three years later, we were living at the farm. That dog had been killed in a terrible accident. And I was so devastated because she really became my dog. And it was in my care that she died. Um, that I just didn't want to live there anymore. I didn't want to be there anymore. I didn't want to be in that neighborhood. I didn't want to know the neighbors. I didn't want to interact with anybody. I just shut down. And so part of the reason why uh, my mother went searching for another home was because of uh, the emotional distress that I was in. And she thought maybe a change of venue and a place in the country would be best to raise her girls. And that's how we ended up with the farm. And, and I think most parents back then, they did care about their children enough back then to where yeah. they did, you know, they, they cared about that stuff. So that that's, yeah. I mean, my parents did the same thing at one point, you know, mm -hmm. and you live in a small little trailer park and, you know, the, you fight with kids and this and that and everything else. And, you know, it's just, it's, things just become so negative for you that you eventually have to move away and find happiness, you know? So no matter what it is, yeah. you know, your parents care, especially if you have a child in distress, you move, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of, you know, skip forward here a little bit and, and, and talk about um, Bathsheba some more because now the story um, that you relayed was that um, she had, that was, she was taking care of an infant that had died because of a, um, a, a pin or a crochet, you know, hook or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. was no, it was a sewing the, needle. A sewing needle, it sorry. Was a sewing, it yeah. was put in the back of the, the head and, you know, killed the child. Um, I know that after this story, um, or I should say after the movie, not the story, the movie that we had talked about, um, I saw the videos and the stuff and I saw your, your YouTube, um, video that came out where it devastated you because somebody actually went and destroyed Bathsheba's headstone. Gravestone. Yep. Gravestone. And and destroyed, yep. crushed it. They they went out of their way to go to this place in Harrisville and, and destroy a headstone to of Bathsheba's because of this story. 
since yeah. since it came out. Yeah, yeah, since the story came, That's since the movie disgusting. came out. Well, yep. you know, if and, you watch, you know, I mean, that, it, it just shows you where people's minds are today versus yeah. where they were in the seventies. Right. The caring is well is not. I know, you know. I know it. It's very sad, and you know, to desecrate uh, somebody's final resting place um, because yeah. of a film is uh, and a fictionalized one at that. Um, is just to me um, the height of ignorance, and you know there was a lot of you know the the weirdos and the freaks and the and you know the lunatic fringe came out of the woodwork um, after the movie opened, and there were a number of people that trespassed on the property, and the current owner yep. went ballistic and blamed me for everything, even though I was putting out one video after another asking people to please stay away. From the farm, the film wasn't made there. Uh, that's private property. There's a family living there. Leave them in peace. Um, and yeah, and yet people were seeking it out, and um, so it created a rift between us. And right. uh, it's you know very unfortunate that it happened, and a 28 year friendship just imploded. Um, and you yeah. know she took to the airwaves and and said, go away, no ghosts here. The parent family made it all up, and she knew that wasn't true. So she has to live with that. She has to live with, you know, her the falsehoods that she told afterwards. She went so far as to say that I never told her there was going to be a movie made when the producer that actually made the movie contacted her to get in touch with my family, with me. And so she's the one that passed my number on to the producer of The Conjuring. And that's the truth. And I've got all the paperwork in the world to back it up. And, you know, I, she did a complete 180. This is someone who invited one paranormal investigative team after another, after another into that house for close to 30 years um, without me knowing about it. Um, so she did know she bought the house because of its reputation and she was fascinated by it. Um, and she wanted to know more and more and she wanted to, you know, wanted it to get very famous. And then when it did, but it did not, um, it did not uh, benefit her uh, specifically because she had an agreement with Warner brothers um, with new line cinema, actually um, that they could use the house to film in. But then when they brought James Wan onto the project and he read my book, he said, absolutely not. I will not go near that house. I will not step foot in Rhode Island. We will find another house and we will film there far, far away from that farm. Um, and he admitted that he was scared he, that uh, you know, after he read the books and, and talked to me and talked to members yeah. of my family, um, he just said, you know, that's nothing that I'm going to mess with. And so they ended up choosing a house in North Carolina, of all places. Uh, and that's the house that they used in the movie. And then they rebuilt it um, on a sound stage in Wilmington, North Carolina, for the inside scenes. It then did all the outside shots um, on the remote location. So well. anyway, her end of the deal and what would have you know benefited her financially... Uh, they had, believe me, when they write a contract, 
they've got all <laughs> everything's on their side of the table, you know what I mean? And so they mm-hmm. didn't have to honor that contract. It was right in the contract that they could renege on it if they wanted to. But she signed it and she thought she was going to have a, you know, a relative boatload of money come her way for her to move out of that house and for them to use it to film the movie. So to say that she never knew there was going to be a movie is um, disingenuous at best, a bald-faced lie at worst. And, you know, when you know, I can stick up for myself, I am perfectly capable of uh, defending myself. But when you attack my, you know, 78-year-old mother um, and she's already been to hell and back in this life, uh, that's war. And so, you know, I let her know that, uh, you know, if she kept it up, that we were going to have a problem. And, you know, people have the power of discernment. This is probably the most well-researched, well-documented haunting in the United States of America. Um, you know, this goes back. I mean, this is this story has been told, and stories of the farm have been told in writing going back to the 1800s. So, you know, for her to say that I somehow ruined her life by telling my story is just a crock. And you know, for somebody who uh, was all very, very excited at first and, you know, buying my books to give to family and friends and, uh, you know, having me, I'd go visit and I'd be sitting at her, at her kitchen table signing books for her family and friends, you know, then to turn around and say, uh, it's all made up. I guarantee you, I'll tell you what, Ted, I did not in the prime of my life to the exclusion of all else park myself in front of a computer for seven years where I remained tethered so that I could concoct one big fat elaborate lie. And if anybody doubts that, all they need to do is ask anyone who knows me in terms of my veracity. As an ind- I told our and story I, I, because the world was ready for it. I told our right. story because the world deserved to know the truth. Right. Right. And, you know, I, <clears throat> one of the things that I do is, you know, being a radio host is I like to research the people that I interview. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed right. to do that research. So I went back and I actually saw some of the video that was recorded in that house with you and her sitting side by side talking about what mm-hmm. she experienced in that home. Yeah. So yeah. that in itself is video that is out there that she agreed to. Okay, and yeah. then she she herself had stated in the video that this stuff has happened. So it's all on her, I guess. And and, and <clears throat> it's said that unfortunately that money is the root of all evil, and unfortunately that's what happens with most people is money is what they're thinking about. And to have a location like that farmhouse and that property that has that much history and uh, – Paranormal activity, <clears throat> people like myself that spend 30 years of their lives, 31 years of their lives researching this stuff, if I had a chance and had the money to buy a place like that, believe me, I would be telling as much as I could about the place. Absolutely. Because it's important, to the, it's important that people realize that, you know what, some of the stuff that's really out there in this world just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't real, all right? It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. 
and having a house that has spirits and ghosts and it could be a, a a farm that has UFO sightings every night. It's important to the field. It's important to the science of it. And if you have a place such as that, like the Burgeon House that I spent three years right. in researching, that it's an opportunity to bring new light to people to understand the things that they live through, like you did. You know, it's to bring all yeah. this forward, to bring it up front. I mean, believe me, Andrea, I feel your pain with, when you tell your stories. And at the same time, the curiosity gets me so much that I wanted to be there, you know. And I understand mm-hmm. the emotions and, the, and just what you went through. Do I know everything that happened? No. Do I have to know everything? No. But when you tell the story and when you, you, you are very emotional about what happened, empathy is one of those things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Well, it's I, like when I talk about it, it's like I'm right back there, you know, because yeah, like living. <laughs> and one of my lines in the book that I use several times in the trilogy is childhood trauma, the gift that keeps on giving. Once you experience <laughs> something like this, just you just that yes, early this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. I mean, you know I mean, what, really, once you've experienced something like that, you don't forget any element of it, nothing about it. No. It's like it's, it's, you know, like a branding iron has seared it into your brain. And, and yeah. you remember the, the temperature of the room and the scent of the air and, and, you know, how the light was and, you know, every, every single aspect of the experience. And, you know, they're very often quick and fleeting. They don't last a long period of time. But the thing that I found so interesting in terms of, of my perceptions uh, as a 12-year-old moving into the house was that when I saw that first initial apparition, he appeared absolutely solid to me. I said good morning to him because I thought that I was speaking to a living, breathing human being who just chose to ignore me, the little kid coming through the room. Um, it didn't occur to me that I was looking at a ghost at all. It, I mean, it just never even occurred to me. And, and why, I, I remember th- thinking he was dressed so funny and, and wondering if now that we were living out in the country, if everybody dressed like that, you know, I mean, because when you're a little kid, you know, and you see something new, uh, your your mind goes spirals off into different. It never occurred to me that he was dead. Right. 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 And you know, you know, the other part of that is, is that because of the way emotions rule the human body and the mind, fear is a wonderful tool. Right. It really is because it makes you pay attention. You may not believe that you see all of this when you're going through it emotionally. But if you sit down and you calm down and you close your eyes, the detail that you pull out of that experience is unbelievable. That's right. I agree. It's Mm -hmm. unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Frank Herbert, the great writer, said that the beginning of knowledge is the discovery of something we do not understand. No, that and, and that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. You have to yeah. face something that you've never faced before to have real, true, first-person knowledge of it. And as a paranormal investigator, I'm sure you've had plenty of encounters 
that have made your hair stand on end, but every single time you have an encounter, every single time you are touched by spirit, it expands your consciousness in a way that nothing else could. Nothing else could. You know, uh, Carl Sagan, the great astronomer, said absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. No, I think that right. it's just a few words, but some of the most profound and wise words that have ever been written or spoken. Um, that's absolutely true. You know, my mother, my mother got so angry at my father one time that she kind of, you know, not to hurt him or anything. She wasn't like that, but she kind of leaned him up against a wall and gotten in the, in his face, and she said. Um, the existence of the spirits is not contingent upon your belief in them, Roger. Oh, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Mm. It's the truth. See, and to me, I go back, and I'm just backing up a little bit, but being a paranormal investigator, the, the skeptic in me, I mean, just because I believe what she says doesn't mean you know, because I'm skeptical, mm-hmm. that's the way you should be in the paranormal field. Just because I believe what she feels doesn't right. mean I totally believe. And, and But the emotion and everything that she has is that telltale sign of something emotional, something right. tragic, something happened. Something believe, believe that. Right. Believe the human um, energy that, that she's radiating. Right. Believe the emotion and all that stuff because something really did happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's nothing against anybody that believes in ghosts. I can't because I'm trying to find the existence of it. Right. Where, like you and Andre, Andrea, they, you guys believe. I do. You guys uh, believe. I'm literally, as we speak, trying to keep them away from me. I, If I sit back down, I literally will be gone. Because and and, they're and already trying to it's like you know she her other love love is UFOs and, oh, and I cool, watched Andrew. I loved I watched one of her her talks at a convention and I couldn't believe and I don't remember where it was Andrea but I was so pissed while I was watching it and I'll explain it wasn't you it was the crowd because nobody was laughing at the humor humor that you were putting off I'm like how dare they not laugh or giggle at her with the comments. Oh, they were. Make. They just had, they had a microphone on me, so it kind of blocked out everything else. They were actually would, very yeah. open to it, even though they <laughs> do tend to be stuffed shirts sometimes, that crowd. Yes. Uh, That's exactly what they, do. they were. That's funny. Well, you know, the like, thing like, is that it's, it's the, I mean, when I walk into one of those, you know, I'm the dumb kid. I Do you understand? I mean, these are people yeah. that have, like, numerous PhDs, well, who have devoted, you know, decades of, of the study of science around UFOs. And here I walk in, and I'm basically declaring that you can have your, your connection with, with extraterrestrials, and it's all loved-based, and, and, you know, I, I am very... Um, uh, enthusiastic and very vibrant in the way that I tell the experiences that I have had. And so it kind of throws them a little bit. Uh, but I want to shake them up a little bit. They need to understand it's not all about connection from the head. You know, this isn't, a, this isn't about making a cerebral connection. This is uh, making a heart connection with them. That's 
the level that they're on. These are fifth dimensional, seventh dimensional, ninth dimensional light beings. They're not like us. Uh, they are just like us in many other respects, but they're so evolved. They're so spiritually sophisticated compared to humanity that uh, we're, we're really not on the same wavelength yet. We're working on that. Um, and there are some of us on the planet that are working on it much more than others. Most people are unaware. They don't want to know. They're not tuned in. Uh, they don't want to tune in. This is overwhelming to them. And so they are willfully ignorant because that's a blissful state of being. They live their day-to-day -day lives in the monotony of their routines, and everything feels comfortable and, and compartmentalized in a three-dimensional, five-sensory box. And that's right. not the truth of our existence. That is a fractional element of our existence as, as universal beings. Uh, and we're What's not alone in the universe. And, and the one thing that I will have to take umbrage with is what you were saying earlier about um, that we believe. I don't believe. I know. And there know. is a quantum leap yeah. of difference between believing something and knowing something. And, right. and I will be the first thing. one to tell you I don't know something. I will be the first one to say I don't understand this yet. You know, it seems all magical and stuff, but magic is just science we don't understand yet. You know, it's, but I do know what I do know. And what I do know is that we don't just die, that we go on. Because I have seen and sensed in every conceivable way the presence of spirit in my life since I was 12 and I'm almost 60. And this has been something that has been a consistent part of my life for almost my entire life. And my connection right. with extraterrestrials also began at the farm. I'm quite certain that there is a point of correlation and integration between the two. And I think that part of priming the pump and preparing the ground for me to have the connections that I was destined to have with extraterrestrials had to start in a haunted house so that I could do this incrementally and see fourth dimensionally before I could see fifth dimensionally. Makes sense, right? Yeah, it does. It does. And, and I, I agree. And, and that, that's actually how it is for me too. And that's why I said you two were going to get along. Yeah. Um, the other thing was, and this is just my humor when you were talking about um, the love, all I could picture in my head, and please don't take this wrong, I just, uh, my sense of humor with Scooby-Doo and everything else, is I saw a UFO painted up with flowers and stuff from the 70s in my head. Oh my gosh, there was a head. UFO Scooby-Doo one. <laughs> you know, and I just yeah. it just popped in my head, and I just, that's why well, I get a little. just tell mm. me that whatever that E.T. was wearing, it had a nice big day glow tie-dyed peace sign on its chest. <laughs> yes, that's if awesome. I was to imagine that, then yes, that's what it would have been. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's just, I love the fact that people like yourself, Andrea, can come on this show and have the passion and the energy. Um, yes, and just express yourself with this. Now, when the first time you were on Paratalk Radio, we were very reserved in certain things, and we didn't allow certain things to happen. But we have since changed networks, and we are. Now an explicit, um, mature audience. We say what's on our minds. We don't hold back anymore. We we do not um, 
throw disclaimers out there to our, our guests that you can't swear, you can't do this, you can't do that. All things are off the table. And, and our fans that watch this show want to hear the truth, no matter how it comes out of our mouths. And mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to have you back, because I didn't want you to hold anything back. And I know you won't, which is great. Yeah. No, I never time, have, and I never will. And I tell every, and, and, every person that I do a show with that there are no questions off the table. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to hide. In the video with your sister and your father, where your sister swore and she was embarrassed about it, I think it was amazing. I loved it. I thought it, it showed more truth. You know what I mean? More fact and more truth with what she said because of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, I'll never let amazing. her live that down for the rest of her life. Well, if I ever meet her, I will, I'll, I'll help you with that. So. Yeah, that's okay. awesome. Okay, I do have yep. a question that was asked in the chat, which is, did they mm-hmm. ever find the bodies of those soldiers in the walls or no? Did nobody... anybody ever look for them right. is what my question was. Yeah, and did anybody uh, actually uncover those bodies? Well, what happened was the house went through. After we left, we all moved to Georgia. Um, Nancy stayed for a number of months, stayed on as the caretaker, and then about a year later, she moved down to Georgia, too. Uh, maybe a little longer than that. Might have been two years. But um, she stayed up there when the rest of us left. And uh, in the process of the new owners um, uh, restoring the house uh, to its original colonial splendor, uh, for some reason, they sealed off the wall where that activity was um and it's completely closed now it would have to be dismantled and literally pulled apart to be able to get to the eaves under which cindy said those voices were coming from um so i don't know if anybody ever looked i don't know uh what the status is i you know cindy said to me one time she said um, she crawled into bed with me and she was telling me, you know, she heard the voices again and it got so loud. She couldn't believe that it didn't wake everybody up in the house. And it was, it was shaking the walls and it was shaking the floors. And she was so terrified and she was just all cuddled up in my arms. And she looked up to me with tears in her eyes, bless her little heart. And she said, they don't have any reason to lie. They wouldn't lie about that. Why would they lie to us? You know, and talking about the soldiers saying that they were still in the house. You know, um, in other words, she was taking their word for it, that there were seven dead soldiers that wanted to be discovered. And when you think about the age of that house, you know, it it was completed uh, as it stands now. Um, It started back in the 1600s, and then they added on and added on and turned it into a massive farmhouse. And um, but it was completed in 1736, which was 40 years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So that house went through the Civil War. It went through the Revolutionary War. It went through the Door Rebellion. It went through, you know, there were border skirmishes. There were all kinds of activity because Connecticut um, was trying to encroach on little the little colony of Rhode Island from the West and the Massachusetts Bay Colony was trying to encroach on it from the North and the East. And so Roger Williams, the founder of the colony, parsed out huge tracts of land to the original settlers that followed him down from the Massachusetts Bay Colony when he founded Rhode Island. 
and um, and and parcels of like 2,000 acres plus, and that's why the state of Rhode Island, which is the smallest state in the union, has the longest name. Its official name is the state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. And the original Arnold estate was one of the original Providence plantations. And it was right in the corner of the state so that it created the boundary between Massachusetts and Connecticut and was fiercely defended. So there were um, probably numerous deaths that happened on that property, not to mention the fact that before the colonists even came down, that whole entire area belonged to the Nipmuc Indians. And we had um, many sightings of Indians on that property. It wasn't just the house and it wasn't just the barn. We saw things out on the property as well, including down at the old cellar hole where the original house was. That was quite small. Um, And the cellar hole is, is not that big. And we actually saw apparitions of the people that lived in that house. And we saw Indian children playing in the forest. Mm. Yeah. So that's amazing stuff. That's just, that's why I'm in the paranormal field. That's why I do the research that I do is for stories such as that, you know, and and it's just amazing stuff. And, you know, there, there are, there are people um, on our chat rooms talking about all this and um, it's just amazing that the history, and, and that's one of my biggest things is the history of, yeah, 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 yeah. Ignore you. Um, we love history, and that's one of the biggest things with the paranormal is you have to have the history to go along with everything else that you do for research. And, but, yeah, I, I want to say to you, Andrea, thank you so much for sharing your story with the world because I, be- I really do believe um, you were supposed to say it. You were supposed to spell it out for us. You were yeah. supposed to show it. And I... I Oh, shush up. And, and I really think that the movies that you're, you're going to be creating, showing the truth behind all of this, is going to be phenomenal. I am so, and this is something that I brought up when you and I spoke before, is that in the beginning of paranormal investigation, which really wasn't the paranormal, it was considered the unknown, the researchers out there used what they had at that time. There was no book, there was no... There wasn't anybody else leading them or explaining to them how to do things. It was all by trial and error, and the Warrens were susceptible to that. They did, you know, fault on things. They they made mistakes. Uh, Dr. Hans Holzer made mistakes. Anybody that researched the paranormal back then made mistakes because we didn't know enough about it, and we still don't know enough about it. And because we're still just, as I say over and over, we're just now scratching the surface. Of, yeah. of of finding pieces to put together this puzzle. Correct. And we'll, well you know, when I first sad. wrote, yeah, well, and I don't know if we're even necessarily supposed to have the answers. Um, I think that more importantly, it's the questions that we um, that we ask, and I think that that's where the expansion comes in. But um, you know. When I first wrote the books, I didn't know if there would even be an audience for them. And I was quite surprised to find out that uh, people really, really wanted to know the truth behind the movie. And it was um, it was just an amazing transformation that occurred because 
so many people that have read the books are now so disenchanted with the film. And, you know, and I tell them, you know, just think of them as totally separate, distinct entities. One really has nothing to do with the other except for the names and likenesses. Um, But the conjuring leaves the audience with impressions and, and that's what they got right. And that was the most important thing for them to get right was that good conquers evil, love conquers fear. The parent family endured an extreme haunting that they all survived. Those are the things that uh, the audience is left with. And that's the truth. So, you know, even though they took, um, you know, creative liberties and license and, and, uh, you know, changed the story to fit, you know, their two hours of time and, um, you know, blamed everything on Bathsheba because that's what Mrs. Warren had in her case file, uh, even though that was incorrect. Um, you know, the film was based on the case files and the entire series of films is based on the case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren. But the reason that they made our story first was because prior to his death, Ed asked Lorraine to make sure while she was still earthbound that she did everything in her power to make sure that the parent family story was told because he, in his own words, written and verbal, said that of all of the 40 years of investigations that they conducted as a couple, that it was the most intense, compelling, disturbing, and significant of all of the investigations. And uh, they also admitted that they were in over their heads, that they never expected what um, they saw and and the experiences that they had in that house. Um, now, things did not end well with the Warrens, and my father threw them out of the house and used language that I didn't know existed at that time. Um, he was <laughs> absolutely livid, out of his mind, furious with them, because what happened to my mother that night during the seance that they compelled my parents to to do um, you know, and said that it was absolutely necessary. Lorraine looked up at my father and she just growled at him. And she said, if you love your wife, you'll let us do this. Well, what they did almost cost my mother her life that night. And um, he was uh, he was out of his mind angry. And when she was tossed from the middle of our dining room into the center of our parlor and her head struck the floor and everyone present in that house, including four of the five children, uh, heard that happen. We all thought we had just seen our mother die. It was absolutely horrific. And when my father went to run to my mother's side, Ed grabbed his arm to try to stop him. And my father turned around and cold cocked him and broke his nose and took a man almost twice his size to the floor. And that didn't somehow make it into their case files. So that's, you know, what really happened will be in our films. And Lorraine is very well aware of what happened that night. Ed, rest his soul, is very well aware of what happened that night. And no one but no one telling the truth of it. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Right. That's the way it should be. All right. Well, unfortunately, I do want to say that uh, Andrea is coming back. Um, we are going to be talking about her second love, or first love, I should say, her original first love. 
And um, we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about um, ufology when she comes back. Awesome. And we're mm-hmm. going to spend two hours, I promise, two hours with her mm-hmm. um, on that subject. I do want to bring up real quick that next week's show on Monday, um, we have Rebecca uh, Smuck, who is the Motor City Medium. Um, she's internationally renowned. Uh, re- yeah, renowned. Renowned. And, <laughs> yep. And respected spiritually. She's a, a, um, a medium. Um, she has spent her life helping people in need. Fantastic. Um, she's um, one of those uh, highly giving individuals. Um, she specializes in violent or highly volatile hauntings. And she, yeah, that's what she specializes in, and she's going to tell us some of that when she joins us on Monday. So make sure you tune in. Um, and that is uh, Rebecca Smuck, the, the Motor City Medium. <laughs> a- a- Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sorry we got to cut this off. Um, we will definitely um, see you in the next date that we have set, and we are going to spend an amazing amount of time with you. And um, just so you know, and, I, I do. I love you. You are you are an awesome individual, and um, your energy is amazing. And I wish you and your father and and the rest of your family, you know, goodness and and light. I can really I, do. Can I ask Thank her one you. question? Sure. So I have one of our our friends here that is asking, not spirit friends, but actually chat room friends. They wanted. They were interested in knowing if you think there's a connection, if you believe or think that there's a connection between spirits and extraterrestrials opening your mind more. So do you yes. think there's some kind of correlation? I, I, I wanted to answer them and say the same thing because I do believe that, that there is a correlation somehow, somewhere, some way between the two, um, if one or both open to the other. But I was curious, so uh, thank you. Well, yes, because I feel like energy, everything is energy. Everything is one thing. And so everything is interconnected. And um, there is some point of correlation, uh, I believe, between the two, absolutely, even though some are considered dead by our definition and the extraterrestrials are sentient, prescient living beings. Um, they understand, Correct. I think, the notion of death uh, in a, a much uh, deeper way than we do. Yeah. That's very possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, if you have anything else, like um, House of Darkness, House of Light. Um, on YouTube. On YouTube. Andrea Perrin on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, what else, Andrea, can they find you on? Um, I'm everywhere. Uh, I've got five different pages on Facebook. I'm very easy to find there even though I've been at my friend limit of 5,000 for several, a number of years, um, I still, uh, people can still connect with me through messenger that way. And um, uh, also I have a fan page called the buttercup brigade. They can hop on there. I have a house of darkness, house of light page, uh, a world awakening page, which is all about my extraterrestrial stuff. And um, in a flicker has its own fan page as well. So I'm very easy to get in touch with, and um, I'm working on updating my website, but that's House of Darkness, houseoflight.com. It's stale, and it needs a lot of work, but I've been writing screenplays and books, and haven't gotten 
to it yet because there's only one of me in 24 hours in a day, but I'm working on it. <laughs> and um, uh, it's it's just very easy to find me. All they have to do is Google my name. And as for the books, everything's available. Uh, the least expensive and fastest way to get any of my books is directly from Amazon. They ship within a day. And um, if you buy it from a bookstore, they always tack on more. It's ridiculous, the prices that they put on the books if you order it from Barnes & Noble or whatever. So I just tell people, go to Amazon. Yeah. Now, real quick, um, let's throw this in there, too. Are there any major events that you're coming up where they can see you or yeah. hear you? Yes, I'll be at the Ocean State Paracon in July uh, uh, 14th. Um, Hold on, let me look at my calendar. I'll be, yes, in Rhode Island, in Harrisville, Rhode Island, in my hometown. <coughs> um, and that is July 14th and 15th at the Ocean State Paracon, which has tons of fabulous um, paranormal investigators. There's so many up in the New, e- New England area that it really is like a big paranormal love fest, like a big family reunion. It's a fabulous event and then in um august uh i will be in sault st marie at the upper peninsula michigan paracon and i am their ufo point person this year and that's the 24th and 25th and 26th of august so if anybody's up in the frozen tundra and wants to come (laughs) uh you know please Please avail yourself of it. And and just go to my Facebook, my personal Facebook page, and I've got uh, banners, promos um, for the different events that are coming up. I'm also doing uh, the UFO contact uh, in September up in Michigan as well. Michigan's a hotbed of activity, paranormal activity, and uh, also a huge fascination for people up there. I guess probably because it's winter 10 months out of the year and they've got nothing else to do, but uh, you know, it's, it's right. uh, they have to stay inside. So they pull out their K2 meters. I don't know uh, what it is exactly, but uh, you know, it's um, there's uh there's a whole crowd of them up there and it's uh, it's really, it's an amazing place. And, God's country, I think. It's just fabulous, and I'm looking forward to it. I actually have a number of lectures coming up, and I'll have everything posted on my uh, Facebook page and in numerous places, so it's easy to find me. Michigan is also the, the where there is more sightings of the dogmen. Yeah, I was thinking the same exact thing. That in my head. So, yeah, so that's... Um, <laughs> we do that a lot, my we, friend. We are going to be at... Uh, um, Scarefest this year in uh, yep. um, September, fourteenth to the sixteenth. Fourteenth to the sixteenth, and mm-hmm. but the months before August thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth, I think, is we're going to be at the um, August Gettysburg Battlefield Bash. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I couldn't remember when. They, yep. Yeah. So we're going to be doing that, and then the world's largest ghost hunt on September twenty ninth. So we've got a lot going on for ourselves. Indeed. Plus, Paratalk Radio on the road. We're yeah. going to all those other locations. And... August 6th, fangirling. Yeah. No, it's really great. Well, the next time you go to Michigan, just know one thing. While I was up there, Bigfoot saw me, and no one believes him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> We're going to have to make a that T-shirt. Was, oh, my God. That was It awesome. is a T-shirt. I stole it. I've got the T-shirt. I stole that from somebody's go. T-shirt. 
was not my original <laughs> idea, but I think it was really cute. But yeah, I'm sure if, if Bigfoot exists, it's in in Michigan because uh, yes, you know yes. there's like ten people and six billion acres to drive across to get from yes, one point sure. to the other. We did have somebody on here that was saying just that: yeah. dogmen and yeah. um, Bigfoot. Yeah. What she was saying. Yeah, and you know we need we need to we need to hook up sometime and and at one of these paracons or something and and chat. It would be awesome. I I yeah. love it. Um, I. I just got a message from from one of our spooky friends, one of our um, gentlemen, our clowns, um, our horror clowns, Mr. Stitches. Um, yeah, we are planning and we are planning another date for him coming back too. So folks, watch out for that as well because yes. Mr. Stitches will be back. And we have some sad news. Sad news, guys, is that uh, Munji has decided to hang up his clown mask. Yeah, so he, um, he's decided to retire, Munji. So. We're sad, but um, we're going to keep in touch with him, and uh, we love him. Yeah, and he's uh, part we want of the show. Know that he's yeah. part of us. Yeah, yeah we love definitely. him. Definitely. <laughs> All right, Andrea. Well, thank and you very you. much for having me on. Thank you so much. It, you're fantastic. We we love you here. Oh, you're you're always welcome. Thank you so yeah. much. Enjoy thank your you. energy. We will have. Uh, well, we'll have uh, we'll have more. If you think this was good, wait till you get me on the topic of UFOs. I mean, oh, I know. Just I, nothing I, that and the energy is going to be. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. But I have uh, to leave at seven o'clock tomorrow morning uh, to go up to Georgia, uh, and so I've got a full day of driving ahead. So I will say my good nights. Thank everyone for listening in. And uh, go yeah. throw myself horizontal for a little while so that I am not have to sleep at the wheel tomorrow. Please drive carefully. All right. Be safe, I Andrew. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. It was nice all to right. chat with Thank you. you. Take care. That's Be lovely. Careful. You too. Okay. Good Thank night, you. all. Good night. Good night. Bye. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us here at Pair Talk Radio. We, we, this is probably one of the longest shows we've ever had. It is, yes. And um, it, it's it just might been, be the second longest. Yeah, but you know what? It's been a great show. It's Fantastic been a great show. evening. And the information we had, we 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 the, we now realize that Matt Moneymaker needs his own show. Absolutely. Um, he has so much energy and so much information that he needs to share with us and, mm-hmm. and our fans. You guys, you had so many questions. We couldn't get them all in there, so we will have Matt back um, as well as Andrea will be back as well. And as I said, Mm -hmm. Stitches will have his own show as well. We will have him back as well. Don't forget that uh, Rebecca Smuck, who is the Motor City Medium, will be next next Monday. Monday. So make sure you tune in. And um, And remember, go ahead. I I didn't want to. And just Jeff, because I know you guys are worried about me. I'm going to do some heavy duty work after I get off of this because um, it, when when people don't want or are not open to hearing the messages, um, it's very difficult for me. So forgive me for having to stand. I literally had to take my sneakers off because it's like a concrete ground. So I had to ground. I took Ted's hand for a minute. And mm-hmm. it, I, I just need to ground more because I'm literally being drained. So right. I don't want you to worry. I'm going to work on getting my, my energy back up. So thank you guys for talking in the, in the things and, and thinking about me and worrying. Oh, please, and please we, don't worry. Anymore. And we don't want to forget yeah. um, the second stop. Um, from Paratalk Radio on the road um, in, Batavia. in Batavia, New York. We're going to be there 
Um, it's July 9th. We're going to be there for two hours doing a live remote. Yeah. Um, the place is uh, um, the Go Art Building. Recently has just popped up being a haunted location where you were uh, Genesee Valley Paranormal Investigators was the first oh, team fantastic. to investigate. Um, and you know we we had been there. We're actually going back again, but um, it's actually will be included on um, Haunted History Trails in New York hopefully soon. That would so, be awesome. Um, we're still reaching out to them and, and stuff like that, but we want you guys, if you're, if you're in local, um, please come out and see us. Come join us. Bring a chair um, and enjoy the show and be a part of the audience. Absolutely, We're going to be speaking guys. with... We would love to have you there at, at all of our events. Right. The first one is... The first one we did, which was in Pennsylvania, which was, which yeah, was fun. So this, this was the, the second one. one. Okay. Um, we are interviewing uh, Melanie Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, from oh, Naked August and Afraid. This is the one I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, um, we're going to be... To win it. Oh, we didn't do a... Uh, we, well, we're going to do that before we leave. Yeah. Um, but Melanie Elizabeth, she um, has some ghost stories for us, and she was one of the, the only female um, contestants that made it all the way straight through. And uh, we're going to talk about that as well um, and go from there. Now, I gotta, we got to give gotta, you we got, a word. Got to give you a word. So. Word! And the reason we're doing this, we'll, we'll discuss it real quick, is that August 6th, why don't you tell them while I get the marker? August 6th, I'm fangirling. You guys all know I'm fangirling. It is Chip Coffee and um, Grant Wilson from Ghost Hunters. And, uh, of course, we will be at the Fox Sisters uh, original site of their house. And we are, that'll be in Hydesville, New York. So we'll have, what, five tickets? Mm -hmm. So we have five tickets, and you guys are collecting the, the, the words that we are showing you. Nobody's allowed to post them. This is only if you're watching that you can participate. So if you're listening to us on the radio side of it, you need to come and watch the Facebook um, or the uh, YouTube. YouTube or the Periscope. Yep, or the Periscope. Um, because that's the only place you guys will be able to actually get the words. And our word is... Remember, folks, do not do post, not post this. it. Do not share it. It is not... This is part of the fun. Um, do not put it on the chat, folks. Correct. Do not do that. Yeah. Because so we, we only have five seats. That's it. Five. Five. So you have a few so more like words. You guys to come. Yeah, so we have a few more words to go before August 6th. And um, mm -hmm. once you have them all collected, um, we will see who wins. <laughs> all right, you guys. You guys. Are you ready, Thank Zach? You. We love you and we appreciate you. All right, Thank everybody you. say hello and good night to Zach because he is filling in for the Invisible John. Um, thank you so much, Zach, for, for helping you, us Zach. out. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Last week and this welcome. week, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, Good job, buddy. <laughs> all right, everybody. You know that we care about you. And we, Hi, you Maria. know that we love you. And um, don't forget, wherever there is darkness, there is always delight. Delight. All right. Good night, everybody. Good thank night, you everybody. for stopping by. Mwah. We appreciate it. You've been listening to Paratalk Radio with Ted Wolf and Psychic Cindy. Catch us next Monday when we will bring you another fantastic guest. Thank you to our guests, our sponsors, and J. Wolf Productions. Be safe, be good, and remember, wherever there is darkness, there is always the light.
Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.